been, I've been praying hard. Said no more counting dollars, we'll be counting stars. Yeah, we'll be counting stars. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 154 of Square Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke alongside Cole Jones. Hello everybody. And Kieran O'Rourke. Good evening folks. And we are back this week for the second 5 for 5 episode that we've done here in uh, SCG Radio. This of course was the brainchild of uh, our good friend Luke Edwards. Uh, we are of course talking about 5. Who is yet to appear on a single on 5 one of these. for 5 show. He wanted us to talk about them I believe. Okay. We want to hear our thoughts. And I hope that the, uh, the loyal listeners do too. 5. 5 star matches as rated by Dave Meltzer or in one case above 5 stars. But uh, 5 stars or above matches that we're going to talk about here today. Break them down, analyse them uh, talk all about what makes these matches great and the performers in them great and uh, basically a chance to have a little bit of optimistic conversation uh, around the oaken table here. Yep, because we're going to wait till October till AEW starts. (laughs) So to get you through, let's talk about something that isn't current WWE. Yes. So a lot to discuss here. Five fucking great matches. If you haven't seen any of these, we recommend that you do and uh, hopefully you'll uh, watch along and let us know what you think about it. Uh, Before we, of course, get to that, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. If this is your first time listening to this show, you can go to the archive at squaredcirclegazette.com where we archive every show we've ever done, including the previous uh, 5 for 5 episode where we talked about uh, Flair and Steamboat, Michaels and Taker, Hell in a Cell, a uh, bevy of uh, great matches in the first one, of course, a new 5 this week. There is one more little bit of housekeeping I want to get to today, which is, and now a uh, very special sale I'm doing on my book, Crazy Like a Fox, the definitive chronicle of Brian Pillman 20 years later, the winner of the 2017 Wrestling Observer Award for the best wrestling book of that year. Uh, obviously, I've, uh, I've talked about this book in the past. Uh, I went to StarCast in Las Vegas and did a panel show about the book and about Brian Pillman's life. Uh, I am making a special offer for listeners of this podcast. If you want to get a copy of this book signed by me, uh, I'm selling this at a cheaper price than you can currently get on Amazon.co.uk or Amazon.com. £12 in the UK, $15 for those of you in America. So if you're interested, if you haven't got a copy of the book, if you've heard about the book but you've been kind of waiting to get it, this is your chance. You're going to get it cheaper now than you'll ever get it. £12 in the UK, $15 in the US, signed by me. Get in touch. Radio at hotmail.com is the place to contact to get a copy of the book signed by me at a discounted rate. Or get in touch with me on Twitter, at LiamO'Rourke86, uh, and we'll talk about it there. And uh, no time to waste. Let's get right to it. We are kicking off with War Games 92. This is from Russell War 92 in Jacksonville. Uh, the teams here, it's Sting's Squadron, Sting, Barry Windham, Nikita, Barry Windham, excuse me, Nikita Koloff, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and Dustin Rhodes against the Dangerous Alliance, the Paul Heyman-led team of, and get this lineup, what a lovely team, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Barry Windham, Arn, and, uh, let me try that again, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, and... Larry Zabisco, the cruncher, Larry Zabisco. Uh, might as well, I mean, we'll walk through the match and any notes that, uh, any, any thoughts that spring to mind as we talk about it as it comes through, uh, we'll do. Obviously, that, that the whole scene kicks off here at Wrestle War with the ever exhilarating explanation of the rules, which I think explaining rules in wrestling <clears throat> is a bit of a faux pas because it always makes things seem more complicated. Yeah, but I would say, although they did make the very simple rules more complicated I like for war games having the rules of engagement kind of thing mm. in fact why didn't they call it the rules of engagement it should have been there's one for you take yeah. it back 20 years I, 
I agree with you in general, Lynn, but I, I, there's, there's two instances where I think it's allowed. One is war games, and the other is the Royal Rumble. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, when, when the Fink used to read out the rules, yeah, that was great. It just it just felt appropriate, and especially I mean, when he and Law were saying, "We're like, we know the rules, fucking get on with it!" Like every time. Come on, Howard, you blow hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, that and and war games, I think, is is the other example where it's free. So <laughs> it doesn't need to be. There are seven periods. Everybody, that was overcomplicated. It's overcomplicated. Yeah. It's like first a five minute period, then it's a three, then it's another three, then it's another three. It's like alternating members enter. That's all we need to know. That's every, it. Every three minutes thereafter. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, the Dangerous Alliance comes out in single file, looking like the manliest bunch of men you've ever seen be men. Because it really is the manliest men you've ever met. <laughs> that's why. The and then Arn's there. The man can wear a robe. The man can wear a moustache. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's impressive. Arn yeah. like, uh, Anderson, as we saw in person, Kieran, in uh, Las Vegas. Your man. Anytime that guy walks. He could wear a moustache as well. He could. And get away. But he's also so cool he doesn't need to. Mm. He never would. Mm. Yeah, I just think uh, he's not flashy enough to do it. It's not style. You think from the eighties when he would have had one, it was uh, you know inspired by Freddie Mercury and Co. Uh, and general gay guys um, <laughs> and Manny Fernandez, as I said. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> uh, I can't remember I was going with this. I, I did have a point. Manly men, uh, Arn yeah, Anderson, um, manly. I just move on. Magnum TA had one, so he didn't need one. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, absolutely. The faces come out, Sting's leading the charge, and instead of the single-file killing machine of the Dangerous Alliance, these guys are all pumping fists and slapping asses and kissing babies. Apart from Ricky Steamboat, who's bringing up the rear, looking like a, looking like a, like he's ready for a fight. God! <laughs> You're a big fan of Ricky Steamboat. I love that man so much. It's, again, the production around this is part of what makes it great. Heyman with the blueprint at ringside, oh, you know. Strategizing. Strategizing was great, yeah. Yeah, strategizing, great. Hey, if we lose the coin toss, then you need to bring them over here towards this side. And of course, as we find out, the whole plan is to un- undo the buckle, which is, is what comes. It's like, ah, this is great. Great stuff. Um, they send Steve Austin in first. Steve Austin in not the best pair of tights he's ever worn. No, and a departure from what you'd call typical <laughs> war games because it's not Arn starting. Yeah, but they brought up. They yeah, they said it was because uh, he's useful, youthful energy that Steve needs to go in there first. T- to go back to his pants, um, they're ahead of their time. They were, hmm. uh, yeah, they were obviously it was Austin black pants with Austin on the back in multicolored rainbow colours. He was just being inclusive. It was ahead of the time. Steve Austin uh, is about gays and lesbians. More power to you, Steve. And beer. And beer. <laughs> More power to you, Steve. He's about drinking with everyone. And you know who else was into beer? Barry Windham. <laughs> who also <laughs> comes into other things from the looks of it. <laughs> He'd been spending that counterfeit money. <laughs> Fat Baz enters the start. I love Barry Windham, though, so I don't want to knock him too much, but he was a little bit portly here. A little extra timbo, as they say. Yeah, I kind of love Barry Windham up to sort of like 89, maybe, and then. Yeah. The, weight, the weight gain is quite rapid. Then it's then he's like he's he's got periods of being great, but it's a little inconsistent. And by the time mm. he becomes the stalker, then it's all over. Yeah, you know he's just a couple of months away from the Canadian tuxedo there in WCW. <laughs> Uh, it's actually a fairly simple back and forth and the crowd's not super super into this to, to begin with as they kind of set the stage they attempt to throw each other into the cage a couple of times gets blocked uh, mostly Barry in the first uh, five minute period here but the crowd's kind of cool um, Barry's just kind of like going between the rings uh, Austin hits a flying clothesline at one point which is when Barry is between the rings Austin hits the ropes hits like a flying clothesline over the one top rope to take them over the other one into the uh, into the second ring which is great the two ring element there's, uh, there's wonders for this match I feel oh it's absolutely vital I was thinking of this just in terms of who put this together because it's so 
the way obviously when everyone's in there and they all and they, they all branch off you've got yeah, pretty much guys in little groups in, in most corners so but having the two rings just allows that little breathing space yeah I think I think if you only had the one ring you'd have that issue that you get sort of every Royal Rumble where you get that period of match where it's the was it the bloat that we called it on yeah. a previous podcast yeah uh, no I, one can move yeah and I, th- I think you'd get that and you'd have you would have those contrived moments where you'd say you can imagine kind of, right, you all part off to the side now because Arn's going to hit the spine buster on someone yeah yeah. two rings out yeah Especially with everything to breathe, as Kieran said. Yeah, especially with the WWE rings, which are like smaller than Rick Rude's bed, probably. Yeah. The um, the only thing is with the two rings, um, there's so it's hard to follow. You're gonna uh, stuff does get missed. To get a succinct story um, going between guys is so hard, um, and it's not. So that does take it away from me. That's. Mm. Why well, I probably enjoyed this the least of the five. This really week. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Austin at one point swings from the roof. Rather wildly within the a roof that looks like it's going to cave in for a kick on Barry which he moves out of the way of and kind of like moves his legs back and kind of like just flapjacks him from the top of the roof Austin's a bump machine by the oh, way yeah. this whole match um, he then starts into the cage and Austin bleeds finally at the, near the end of the five minute mark it didn't take long the face has been great into the cage and we got our first colour and what great colour this was one of, one of Steve's uh, finer efforts here um Obviously, we get the t- the, uh, the coin toss, which shock horror goes to the Dangerous Alliance. This isn't TNA, Liam. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if someone was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, got it. And, well, again, we'll talk about this now. And this is a recurring theme. This is actually how you do this match. Yeah. This is the blueprint. It couldn't be easier or more obvious. It's a very simple match, as we'll get to here. Rude's in the heavy hitter. Jr. and uh, Jesse on the call, by the way. Yeah. Fabulous duo. I know they didn't get along, but I liked them together. <laughs> They're a, good, they're a good combination and they're working over Barry and the fans the fans start to come along as soon as it becomes two on one once it becomes a numbers game the fans are into it uh, Wyndham finally gets run into the cage and he's in, in a bad way Steamboat comes in number two on the babyface side and this is where the the, the crowd really picks up when Ricky yeah, comes in Ricky. yeah he comes in he's throwing chops all over the place he throws both into the cage the crowd's going nuts he hits DDTs on them both and then he kind of gets up and he just starts like throwing he his does fists in the air the wildly. most exuberant babyface premature celebration <laughs> I've ever seen in my life I can't, how do you describe this it was so nerdy and out of control with his limbs it was like watching G at a disco <laughs> arms pumping all over the place trying to pump wailing away a drunk G <laughs> drunk G I don't think he's ever drunk I'm not sure I care for this Ricky Steamboat comparison. Well, I think <laughs> it's hurtful. Well, it was meant to be. I was I was aiming it right at your ribs. So, Ricky Steamboat's hanging from the roof. It's a hurricane run on Rick Rude, which was uh, something to see. Barry Wyndham gets back in the mix. Wouldn't you know it? When the heels have the two-one advantage, they're in control the whole time. The face comes in. Odds are even. Faces are in control. Here comes the next heel, Arn. Arn comes in, immediately hits the fucking greatest DDT in the world on Barry Windham. I'm sorry, Jake, but Arn's DDT is better than yours. I love Arn's DDT. Uh, he, yeah, DDT's Barry, spinebuster on Ricky, lays him out. What a man. <laughs> what a man. Arn and Rude then get like a double Boston Crab on Ricky's steamboat. <laughs> And they're just like, you know, applying the pressure. It's great. Barry's bleeding by this point. Jim Ross is just awesome on the call. Because he's like, at this point, he is screaming already. Oh, yeah, he's gone. He's, he's gone. He's all over the place. Rude pile drives Ricky Steamboat. The heels are dominating at this point because they have the numbers advantage. Next one in's Dustin. 
Dustin comes in straight for Arn Anderson. Uh, hits an atomic drop on Steve Austin that smacks his head off the roof of the cage. Great spot. <laughs> yeah, this is and this is the fucking great buzz in the air now because now it's it's gotten to that point where the crowd's just like simmering, excited the whole time. The people standing up in the crowd. If you're watching them, it's really it's like at this point they're they're pretty into it. Uh, this is the first of two great instances where Barry has Arn upside down between the rings with his head between <laughs> the rings. <laughs> And he's kind of bouncing up and down, and on just there, upside down, head between. They let his legs go, and his ass starts kind of slowly. It's there bumping. in the wind. It's there in the wind. Ah, on Anderson. But I love it. The faces rule the ring again. Larry Zabisco comes in, the fourth member of the team, and Dustin kicks his ass immediately. So at this point, Medusa climbs the cage. Uh, she's obviously with the Dangerous Alliance, and drops the phone through like a hole in the cage in the roof. Sting gets on top kind of like scare her off so again there's like another thing here where the crowd rises just like it, it, the pacing a, of this a, match is like it's like a like there's always something to keep their attention to get them buzzing well that's thing it's a, it's a cool visual and because you draw attention to them it gives everyone in the ring just you know a chance to just pause slightly and just you know take a breath yeah because there's always something else new to look at and obviously you get this whole thing where here Kling you know, Sting's walking along the cage which like I say it looks like it's going to cave in any second here uh, and kind of eventually scares it off but the phone gets dropped into the uh, into the ring on decks all the faces with the phone um, Rue's just like ripping at Steamboat's face it's violence those, those two are great they're awesome they're together, together aren't they yeah I think other matches there like Beach Blast Beach 92. Blast right after the month after that yeah brilliant Austin's like punching Barry from the mountain it just looks fucking great it's like now blood's everywhere everyone's bleeding uh, Sting Hepatitis Hepatitis <laughs> everywhere Sting's in and here we go face buster to Arn presses Rude and he's pushing him into the roof crowd are unglued at this stage yeah for the stinger he's pressing Rude into the roof of the cage with every with every extension um, he throws Arn to the cage there's blood from Arn um, Austin gets back dropped into the cage which just looks completely out of control and crazy but another fantastic bump from Steve faces are back on top and now for the second time this time it's Rick Rude's turn to not only go upside down between the rings with his head between the rings Kieran but a unique twist was added <laughs> this one got, I can't remember who the two guys are I just kind of saw in the back in the, in the <laughs> that Rude's upside down with his head apparently trapped between the two rings and he's kind of getting his legs wishbone <laughs> Upside down. It's, it's, it's one of these. A bad night for Richard Rude. I, you know, yeah. That's what I love about the magic of Rick Rude. He's the <laughs> toughest man in the world, but he will show, when he shows his ass, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> Look, no one takes a better atomic draft than Rick Rude because he knows when the time's right, everyone wants to see him mince around. <laughs> he knows how to play the comedy cell just oh, right. Yeah, not to the point where he's an idiot, but just, no. oh, look how fucking funny. No, that I don't know else, it would look stupid. Yeah. This is Rick Rude. We know how big the package is. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to feel that more than a normal man. But it's he's sort of watching this the match show and you sit there and think, Jesus, no wonder everyone's backs and spines were fucked hanging around, back body drops into the cage, hitting your head off the roof. It's no wonder everyone was fucked. Steve is just going all over the place here. Like he, It's funny because like when you watch the match, no one person really stands out as the star, at least to me. But Austin's working his bollocks off like he wants to be the star of the match. He, he wants to be noticed. From yeah, he's like screaming about how fucking great he is here, basically. <laughs> um, the next heel, the last heel is in. It's Bobby Eaton. Dustin's got some great juice at this point. Now it's five on four. Dangerous lines advantage, of course. Uh, Larry and Rude to start to uh, loosen up the turnbuckle in their corner. They're, they're, Rude is using those big fucking arms to unscrew the metal bolt. 
which is uh, just a, a sign of things to come. They kind of start to get it moving here a little bit. Dangerous Alliance back in control. Last guy in, and they kind of hype this up a bit about whether Sting and Nikita Koloff will be on the same page, because obviously they'd had their, uh, their prior beef in 91. And now Nikita's kind of with the babyface side. Are they going to get along? Are they not? Nikita's in. Clobber's on. Pulls Sting to his feet. They do the stare down where they're trying to kind of tease. Okay, so what's going to happen here? And then from behind him, two of the guys from the uh, Dangerous Alliance run to ambush Sting and Nikita moves him out of the way and takes the bullet, which is uh, pretty much how they describe it. Uh, but they shoot the baby faces, Sting and Nikita off the ropes, double clothesline from the faces, and they do the big high five, they hug, and then they run wild on Arn and Steve. <laughs> they just, they just beating the shit out of him. Sting juice the, is loose. The juice, yeah, it was just the fucking chops, the kicks, the, the pummeling. This whole match is just a whole lot of pummeling. It's a, it's a lot of pummeling. I mean, we're gonna, one of the reasons I want to talk about this match first is because obviously there's a, there's a violence to this that isn't matched by that many matches we're going to talk about today so we'll talk about that one the, the, uh, the one I would compare it to a little bit last but this is very simple stuff for the most part but it's just so intense in this environment and with all the blood and everything like that it's like this just works so well and this works better than most War Games matches that I've well put in, this is, I think this is the best one of all the War Games matches I can't think of a better one some people like 91 more but I, I prefer this 91 always sort of because the way it ends Sort of leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, really. You know, yeah. Pillman nearly being killed by Sid. Um, and the general presence of Eligante. That too. That too. At least he didn't have the bodysuit then, though. Mm. But I, I never really thought about it in any sort of meaningful way. But now that you've sort of posed the question a bit, I am struggling to think of a better one. Yeah. Yeah. Because believe me, 98 ain't on there. No, 93 <laughs> the next year doesn't cut the mustard either, by the way. What was that one? The 93 War Games was the, the illustrious Vader, Sid, and Harlem Heat against Sting, David oh, Boysmith. Oh, oh, Shockmaster. Dustin and oh. the Shockmaster, with the Shockmaster getting the win. Wow. Yeah. Wow. After he'd, <laughs> fall, after he'd fucking fallen over. <laughs> Flat his fucking ass, Carl. Sting gets the scorpion on double A, but Bobby makes the save. Uh, Rude finally successfully pulls the buckle off. At this point, they are kind of you know, teasing various submission finishes. Of course, now the match beyond has begun, where it's submission or surrender, a term I never really understood as a child, if I'm quite honest. Just it, submission. It, isn't it the same? And yeah. surrender. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Typo. Yeah. <laughs> um, eventually, they pull off the, the steel turnbuckle. Larry convinces Bobby it's a great idea for me to I love the way that Larry Larry's it. hilarious Larry's Visco is fucking hilarious because he looks like Bill Murray on growth hormone anyway but like the way like he, get, he gets the metal strut and he just kind of starts waving it around his hands like yeah this could do some fucking damage yeah he's demonstrating the, the weight of this inanimate object hey big urn is above the law <laughs> <laughs> he swings it wildly at Sting unfortunately it misses Eaton gets hit in the shoulder Larry gets like a flurry and just kind of falls over falls over in kind of comical fashion Sting hooks Bobby in the armbar and it's over the bell rings the faces celebrate the heels are pissed they're furious at Larry oh, this is the best the, part the, the inquest begins the inquest oh, begins the inquest is beautiful as Hez Rudes comes in what the hell happened what the hell well, happened everyone, everyone everyone who didn't lose are asking what's hap- what happened what happened um, they're having their, their, their little uh, power and eventually Heyman and Larry are getting a little, little fiery and I think Paul Lee does he push him or something so he, pushes, he yeah. pushes him back and obviously when then he gets Rude back, stands Rude, in the way so then that's when it realises it's 
it's okay. It's, it's between these two guys and the blaming Larry. So Rude steps in the way, and then the, the, we've got the four guys there alongside Heyman, and Larry's just going something along the lines of, "I don't know, I don't, I don't know. know, I don't know." I can't do it just if it's not in his voice. Yeah. The most hilarious I don't know. Seinfeld-esque protestation you've seen in your life. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> Yeah, amazing, amazing. So the match is over. This was given five stars by uh, Mr. Meltzer in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. So I guess kind of uh, thoughts on this, having watched it, and I don't know if you've all seen it before, but just watching it with this in mind, your your kind of your general takeaways. Well, as I said, I I mean I thoroughly enjoyed it. The setup, the simple setup with the the, the, the entrances makes the match. So the psychology is simple. Execution is really intense. The bloods doing great just a bunch of phenomenal workers as well but I think just given the nature of the way you don't your attention is, is taken away um, that is the attraction of it obviously is, is the chaotic violent element but in terms of a pure personal enjoyment that's why it didn't gravitate as much to me as the others because you, you can't really get your teeth into it in that respect between beef between guys because you, you're all over the shop yeah. so that's just my my um, honest opinion in context to the other matches though it's still a wonderful wonderful match it's awesome the, the intensity is through the roof the crowd heat helps because obviously that just like feeds the energy that's in the air and everybody's just putting in a great shift everyone's working their bollocks off and because of that it, uh, I think it really just it, I think it's why it's the quintessential war games oh yeah no one's no one's slacking no one's coasting as you say JR is brilliant on commentary and, and Jesse uh, Jesse's putting some effort in for a change as well during, <laughs> which wasn't always the case during his WCW run no. let's, let's be honest he was happy getting those uh, residual checks off the uh, WWF lawsuit yeah but uh, but no you know he, he was he was on his game as well and it was I don't know why I always found it slightly odd and I understand what they were trying to play off with the Sting Nikita element to it but it always just struck me as odd that Nikita's the last man in just in that sense of hmm you you build the sting. You, you Think build, so? Yeah, sting stings your, your biggest baby face. That's the one the company are really with. You, you go with him, but that's maybe nitpicking a little bit. It's considering how well it worked when they did the high five, yeah, and the fire yeah. up on Dublin Steve. Um, it, it is a wonderful match. I think the heels mainly hold it together. Think so? But mainly on. <laughs> I'm just Arn and Rick. I'll ask you Arne, this: Arn and Rick and Austin, Austin bumping wildly. Well, it's it's naturally, naturally going to be that way anyway. When yeah. Got, the, the setup is that, that obviously the, the heel advantage numerically most of the way through. They're going to be leading the action anyway, so that's that's, that's natural. Yeah, yeah. So if you had to pick a star of the match, who would you pick? Oh, I'd go Austin. You would go Austin, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl, on, on the base of, I think he was working harder than anyone, and that's not to say that people coasting everyone was working hard but yeah I'll give it up I'll give it to Austin bloody great punches by the way all throughout this match the punches the strikes there's just that's why there's only one thing in the whole match that you can kind of see through which is Dustin throws a kick at Steve at one point as Steve's off the ropes that gets a little bit of daylight but other than that everything else is like beautifully tight Barry Windham's punches are fucking great Dustin is is fabulous he's a great puncher as well Steamboat with the chops and just the all over the place that he, he usually is those illegal karate thrusts <laughs> <laughs> and hi to Terry Tyrell and Jade back in Minnesota Carl <laughs> but uh, yeah so that, that was a that was a really fun one I, I very uh, very much appreciate you getting the chance to watch that back and, and talk about it a little bit because I think that's just such a damn good match I, lo- I love the intensity of that match and the, the added elements are like Heyman at the start Medusa as well the production the helps yeah it's the production all, around it it's all wonderfully crafted yeah great stuff great stuff 
So, moving on to match number two here that we have to talk about here. Change of play, uh, change of pace. <coughs> try that again. 22. You got to keep that in. No, it's the mics were USB'd. To be continued. Next match on the docket, we're going to All Japan Women here. Uh, the uh, Domi Super Women Great War from the 20th of November 1994. It's Aja Kong versus Manami Toyota. Get the tissues at the ready, G. I know you're listening. <laughs> because this is one that's going to get some love. Uh, I kind of want to know what your expectations were going in before we talk about the match. I knew the name of Sonia Kong. knew the rep of these. Was there two matches? One in, 90, one in 94, one in 95, I've got a feeling. They had a series, yeah. I did. They had a few. But I remember oh, they won the Observer matches, uh, yeah, match yeah. of the years. I remember re- always reading Power Slam. Power Slam, that's it. Um, you may have shown me these before, but I couldn't remember watching Manami Toyota. Fucking hell. She is was fucking amazing <laughs> yes she, she was. was so damn good you, you can see why Dave was such a big fan oh yeah absolutely yeah like she looks like this unassuming you know just Japanese woman she does scream too much and then she gets whipped off the ropes and decides to leap like a cat to the top rope and fling herself off in one fluid moment at some random point and my mind was blown with the, the fucking balance of this woman like a Goddamn ninja cat! It was amazing. Um, <laughs> everything she did was absolutely unbelievably beautiful and tight and snug, and like throwing German suplexes on this big, big woman, making it look easy, and just, uh, just absolutely smooth as silk. She was a phenomenal work. I was blown away by watching her work. Wow! So yeah, I knew, um, seen bits and pieces, knew the rep more than sort of watching a, a lorry load of matches. Um, I, I just love the sort of the whole pre- I say the whole premise but the, the bulk of the match of this, this um, you'll get to the details later as we go through but this constant sort of fighting from underneath basically using her using her entire body or so the, the, the frenetic nature of the way she's trying to build offence when she gets those sort of brief glimmers in the, in the, for, for the bulk of the match okay best jump off the top here throw my body there you know Sort of kick wildly. It's just all this sort of element of the way in which you'd sort of the, the what was the, what's the, the term that you sort of you know the, the baby face who's a gamer, you know, all heart, really trying to, to push her against the, the monster. I think what sort of typified it for me was the bridging, oh, the bridging out of the pins, the valiant nature of this baby face, screaming as she does so every Wonderful. time. Was it, I guess was it like a, a point proving exercise for her as well yeah. I'm still not hurt that much my back's still not so and Arja just takes that as it's red, red drag to a ball isn't it Yeah. but it was a really nice story the way around. I think the, the only time she doesn't bridge out the kick out is when she gets squashed right at the end and yeah. it's just, it's just an, that's an awesome near fall yes, which we'll get to so in and that's it that's, that's the first proper near fall because it's the one you didn't bridge out of um, so that's a nice touch all the way through I thought they'd actually going to do more with the pinfalls I thought by the end they'd have maybe two or three when she doesn't yeah. you know, she, she's signifying she's getting more and more uh, yeah because she went down. back to the bridge after that did she? yeah there was, there was a bridge after that mm. but, but still like the, the, the one moment where you don't get that because you, you get, just get the shoulder you hear the, the gasp from the crowd that you didn't necessarily have with the other with the other two counts yeah so I've been kind of for a while, and this is probably about, probably about a decade or so ago now, I'd watched the Dream Slam shows, which was like my 
kind of introduction to all Japan women because I always again as a power slam reader and observer reader I'd always hear about you know the Aja Kong Minami Toyota Born Nakano mm. you know all, all the awesome workers that there were around this time uh, in all Japan in all Japan women and watching it and going on like a flurry of watching and those shows are awesome the Dream Slam shows they're great and that was like an introduction and then just watching as much of her Minami Toyota as possible it's like she is and I can you can kind of see it's like you actually see the comparisons with her as the Shawn Michaels of her promotion because that's that's, that's totally like the first thing that you think of when, when I watch any match that she's in but this one's great because again I haven't watched any Minami Toyota matches in probably about a year and a half two years she's fucking great <laughs> it like reminds you all over again it's like yeah there's the, especially when you watch it with modern eyes with modern standards of what people do now and you go back and watch and it's like she's still spectacular oh, yeah. and even it's sort of I know this is a little bit off the beaten track but it it almost feels like you're sort of slapped in the face again when you, oh, you know, when you, the way people talk now, and you people out there know who you are because there's plenty of you. It's, just, oh, it's come on so much now. Women's wrestling's brilliant in comparison to what it was, you know, ten years Suck ago. Suck my balls. Oh, yeah, that good wrestling has always existed. You just need to, at the risk of sounding pious here, expand your horizons a little bit. You know, <laughs> look beyond the E. Stop grading on a curve and stop thinking that mediocrity is excellence. It's not. It's Jericho. Not. <laughs> <laughs> the match starts with a dropkick before the bell by Minami Toyota. Oh, by the way, we shouldn't pass it that Aja Kong does have great theme music. Aja Kong's theme song is so great. Yeah. They dubbed it without. That's my only regret, maybe. It's so great, they've already dubbed it with English lyrics. Yeah. And have taken away my opportunity to do so <laughs> which would have been a great closer for this, uh, yeah, this podcast sadly for those of you who haven't heard our first 5 for 5 Honest. with the great Masawa theme song as sung by Kieran yeah. go back and check that out um, yeah drop it before the belt by Manami Toyota followed by the Manami roll very quickly uh, she goes to the top rope Arja joins her a sunset flip powerbomb she's on a roll here and then she goes for a crossbody gets caught slammed and it's Arja's time uh, she just kicks the shit. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, that, there goes your first offensive flurry. Yeah, just kicks the fuck out of her. Puts her in a Boston crab where she's practically sitting on her head. Oh, proper Boston crab as well. This yeah. is the way it's done. I'd love to know what it is that she screams. Manami, because the crowd reacts to it. They, re- they react to whatever it is she says. She says something and they, you just hear a pop. I wonder what that was. God, if I had subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> so she's screaming for her life in the cell. Aja breaks it, puts her in a camel clutch, which then looks even more evil because Aja sits all the way back and hooks her feet in as well. So she's just in this like scorpion position. Ah, oh, it's great. Um, Aja kind of catapults her into the ropes so that she rebounds and lands on Aja's knees and she holds her there as well. Sticks her in a half crab. She's just stretching Manami and Manami's making a lot of noise, which is par for the course with her. Um, she does this all the time where she's just screaming for her life. Um, yeah, and this is the point where, out of nowhere, Ozong shoots her into the ropes, and she just leaps up onto the top rope with not even a shred of a problem, with a turnaround crossbody. Beautiful. It's like, what was that? <laughs> Actually, the first time I thought, what was that? Was the was the, the sunset flip powerbomb? I think. Yeah. When she just flips over with such velocity, so in, fast in the first sixty seconds. But in, yeah, and but she's in total control. So, whoa, what was that? And then she does this, and it's like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> She goes up to the other top rope to try and uh, follow up the uh, the crossbody and just straight to a kick. So Arja's still in control. Lovely little hope spot there. Um, Arja Kong does just a fucking sick jumping pile driver here. Just kills her. She gets dropped on her head several times in this match and it's just horrifying. 
Um, Manami gets another hope spot with a kind of a drop kick counter to a backdrop. Tries to get some strikes in and kicks Arja in the head, which just looks like a critically bad move because Arja just gets up and just boots her and punches her hard in the face, <laughs> like hard in the face, like receipt hard. Yeah, like a receipt hard. Um, Arja hits a superplex, goes for the cover, but Manami kick, uh, bridges out here. This is one of the first. Uh, Sometimes you really notice this is a pattern. She's doing so was this time. a gimmick she's doing matches? She would always, yeah, a lot, well, a lot okay. of them would do it a lot. Oh, okay. um, again, we get the second Boston Crab. She makes it to the ropes. Arja uh, kind of hoists Manami over her shoulder and does the old Rick Steiner running into the corner and kind of, uh, you know, upside down, that deal, and uh, follows up with an avalanche, which is a prelude to Arja taking her to the ramp. Jesus Christ, I thought she dropped <laughs> it on her head. So she picks her up for the same thing over the shoulder like the Rick Steiner upside down to the turnbuckles we just mentioned and she walks all the way down and she starts sprinting with Manami towards the ropes so I think logically well she's going to string her out over the ropes and then all of a sudden no what does she do Carl? (laughs) fucking drops (laughs) she drops her hard she does a dominator on the ramp which looks like it's more shoulder hits first before the gut yeah doesn't look comfortable. No. On the wood. I thought, she, I thought she could be dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then she kind of pops up onto the ropes, goes away, and does the big long run <laughs> into like a shoulder into the ropes, which is like a little bit anticlimactic compared to the previous it, yeah. murdering. It, it was just such a long run as well. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a great angle for it, because they kept the angle from behind from about 30 feet away, so you yeah. didn't really get any impact. No. It's not, like, um, it's not like when Moose would do the big long run to the clothesline, and like, you know, the, the camera kind of follows him as he does his wild sprint. But then she's not big anyway. Uh, what's the name? Manami or Aja? Aja. So as she's running into the distance, she got really small as well. Mm. So yes. Yeah. Plays monster. Not actually all that huge. I just meant from the aesthetics of this camera angle. I'd yeah. Like to do like close up. <laughs> that's all. Um, another sick pile driver in the ring from Aja Kong. Two count. But the crowd's really starting to come along now, especially after the attempted murder on the uh, on the ramp. Uh, a package pile driver gets delivered here. Another two counts. Uh, Arja throws a clothesline, uh, but Manami kind of counts it into a Cobra twist, which like she immediately hip tosses her out of, which looks great. Um, she gets takes a back drop, and Arja's just on her, and she still bridges out of it with Arja on top of her. So it's like, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. Uh, Arja goes to the second rope, but Manami runs and gives her a big boot to the floor. Uh, so Arja's now kind of at ringside, and this is where we get Manami's comeback. This is fucking crazy. First of all. She didn't even have a bounce. She, is this when she runs? She does the running leap. The old Takamichinoku type of... Yeah. She runs, leaps in the ring, on, up to the top rope with one foot, lands on the top rope with, with one foot. She, this one foot isn't even properly planted on the top rope. No. It's, she, it looks for all the world she's going to... But she's not. She just kind of pauses and somehow still propels herself to the outside in the most glorious manner. I have no idea how this woman kept a balance. She's just... Uh, Uncanny. Yeah, you know, it was amazing. And then... Follows that up by going back to the top rope and fucking dives off with a missile drop kick <laughs> to the outside. <laughs> this woman's crazy. She's crazy. Dear, dear God. Spectacular stuff. Crowd's going crazy at this point. Manami gets a table at ringside, one of those Japanese tables we all know and love. Lays Aja on it and uh, Toyota Manami yeah, hits a splash from the top rope. Table doesn't break. But the crowd seems suitably impressed. They don't really care. It's more... Holy crap, that's that's awesome. She's just using her body as a weapon. Yeah. In the literal sense, just launching herself time after time. It's great, because at this point, when she throws Arja back in, it's like, they're doing these things, but the pace she works, it feels like a fight. 
It doesn't feel like a. If this was like, I could see this, the the, the move for move being done on the indies, and none of the the pacing would be right, and it wouldn't feel authentic. It would feel like a series of spots. This feels like a fight because the pace should go, and they fucking work this quick pace the whole match. Well, it, like I said, she's she's frantic when she's on the attack, and I think that lends itself to the story because that's the whole point of she do, she hasn't had that many openings, so it stands to reason that she would be frantic and sort of rushed and. and you know, going about things in that way. Yeah. Trying yeah. to strike while the iron's hot, trying to capitalise while you've got that brief glimmer of hope. Yeah. Manami hits a moonsault for a two. Uh, Aja kind of gets up, goes for the back fist, the back fist of death, but it gets blocked into kind of, I don't even know how to describe it because it's not a tiger suplex, but it's like she kind of folds her arms behind her back like a reverse straight jacket and then hits this beautiful, gorgeous suplex. Perfect bridge for a two. Goes for the Japanese Ocean Cyclone suplex, gets countered. We get a German suplex by Aja, which kind of flattens uh, Manami. Uh, she goes for the Manami roll and just gets this is the second time the Manami roll, for those of you who don't know. She, Manami runs at the opponent, kind of ducks her head into a midsection, and then rolls up, up her, powerbomb style, to go over the back in a sunset flip. Aja catches her and just powerbombs her in the most evil fashion. <laughs> the most evil fashion. The head thrown, bounces off the mat. Thrown down. <laughs> Two count. <laughs> a second rope splash gets a two count. Bridge up again. Aja goes for what looks like a moonsault. It's like she's going up backwards. Or she's going for the, the backwards elbow drop. Manami goes up with her and hits the lovely Franken Toyota, the backwards kind of rolling cradle off the top rope. Which just looks evil. They both thought they land on the neck. For another two. <laughs> goes for the Japanese Ocean Cyclone Suplex again, blocked again. Goes for the moonsault, uh, Manami, but the knees get up for Aja. And uh, Aja takes her up. Uh, Minami pushes her off, hits a missile drop to the back of the head for a two count. Uh, goes back up to the top. It's a lot of up and down, a lot of up and down. Aja goes up, and this is the one. This is the one where I, I, I leapt out of my seat. Where she goes for what looks like a sunset flip powerbomb. Aja's, again, in the same position where Aja's going to take the sunset flip powerbomb. But actually, Minami just goes all the way over like a backdrop, lands on her back, and Aja just drops. Bonsai drop style. And just kills her. And it's in perfect synchronization. Yeah. Oh, backdrop over. Have my ass. And this time she doesn't bridge, but no. it's still only a two. Yeah. Still only a two. With an audible gasp. Yeah. Audible gasp this time. They're, they're believing it now. Um, Arjahan goes for a, a belly to back. Manami lands on her feet, but turns into the back fist of death. No cover. Arjahan's selling, selling, selling. Picks her up and hits what is essentially like a Steiner screwdriver. Once again, on top of her head, one, two, three. And this time, and the crowd was quite quiet for the finish, which kind of surprised me after the, the kind of chaos and carnage of her. Uh, I, I love the structure of the match. Like you say, Arja, you know, very, very little to start with shine for Manami. Arja pretty much takes the whole match, looks like she's murdering her. When there is that opportunity, it's pretty much all Toyota with these spectacular things, one after another, after another, after another, until that moment where Arja just drops the arse on her, and then back fist, drop you on your head, you're dead. It's over. One, two, three. Fabulous match. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful match. Your thoughts on Aja Kong, Kieran? I love Aja Kong. I love Minami Toyota, but they are only my second and third favourite Japanese women wrestlers I've watched this week, so. Well, yes. Kieran has a new favourite from Fighter Fest. Ah. Oh. <laughs> he loves Yuka. I love you, Yuka. <laughs> oh, God, here we go again. Carl! <laughs> Carl, with your Wayne Rooney haircut. Don't find <laughs> oh yourself Christ. an old prostitute. Oh Christ! Yeah, Wayne Rooney's not listening. <laughs> no, I'm not worried about that. What the heck? No, I'm worried about Carl's. Uh... So cruel when you're sober. 
Um, I, I really like the match. The only, the only criticism I'd have is that, and I, I, I say this acknowledging that I haven't seen an awful lot of Aja Kong. She has a deadpan expression for a lot of the match. She doesn't really react to anything, and I just would have thought you'd maybe see a bit of you know, frustration etched, etched on her face at times, and, and things like that. And just sort of every so often, it could just sort of take you out the moment a little bit. Really, I, no, that's I an interesting agree. observation. No, I agree with that because I it's something I thought as well. It's, it's I just thought she looked green, um, expressing emotions like compared to what she would become. That's all. That, that yeah, she just. And especially it stands up with Minami's in there screaming and emoting so yeah, I just animated. She's just such a wonderful badass heel that I think, yeah, you, you, you expect a bit more. Yeah, even. The swag and stuff that she's kind of developed later than that. Yeah, a bit of a. Even in the early stage, if, if you're not going to see that frustration, you just expect to see that sort of that. almost a smugness. You know, that you'd sort of expect that it, it would be something akin to like a sort of a, a pat on the head. Oh, well, you're still in it. Okay, well, yeah. Roy smile and now I'm going to kill you and which you would go on to do yeah. But, but yeah it was just very much um, emotionless from, for a good long stretch of the match yeah okay interesting criticism now, one of the things I did see as a criticism and I was kind of scouring for uh, just kind of see what the general feedback was on this match from different uh, eyes from different times is some people not liking the fact that they thought there wasn't enough selling from the craziness that was going on I don't know what your takes on that. Or if you think it was unnecessary and didn't impact the match to you at all, I thought the, I thought the selling was perfectly fine. Yeah, I'd say so. I, di- I didn't really see a, a particular issue there. I mean, maybe you don't. Bit, it's not, they're, they're not, used to a different pace. Like not, I said, they were working yeah, pretty fucking I mean, fast. You're not, not going to see. Uh, no, this almost sounds like I'm uh, correcting what I just said when it comes to Aj Kong, but I don't expect to see a lot of selling from her when. Manami's on the attack because it's supposed to be frantic. You're not supposed to pause for breath and see the emotion on, on Kong's face. There, it's mm. it's all about sort of the 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 whirling dervish nature of, of Manami just going going all out, going you know yeah. going for broke sort of thing. So, you know, you'd only really get this. Presumably, you'd only get the selling that those that have criticised it are referring to at a much slower pace. But if you slow the pace down, that then doesn't to me doesn't quite tell the it negatively impacts the story they're trying to tell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty great way to, to, to kind of summarise it up. Um, so we will move now to the third match on this uh, on this list of five. Uh, it is Mitsuhara Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada, Budokan Hall. That's right, it's this match, the one that people are talking about as potentially one of the best matches of all time. One of the more fondly remembered matches of this era of absolutely incredible Japan Pro Wrestling. It was funny you phrase that because I remarked to um, to Kieran before we started recording here that it took me a minute or two to realise that I'd seen this match before, just because uh, <clears throat> just because I watched a litany of Masawa Kawada matches. I'm sat, uh, I do often sit there thinking, is this one I've already seen? I'm not sure because I've, I've created basically a watch list because of all these matches being on YouTube. I've created my own playlist of them and I've sort of steadily gone through them all and it just, just took a while for me to realise that yes, yes I have seen this one. Oh, this one's great. <laughs> I'll sit back now. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, this is one that I've been I was just loving seeing again because this is on a compilation that I bought a while ago. The the, the, uh, the thirteen disc best of Masawa versus uh, Kawada. So I was loving the chance to just watch this again and talk about it because this is one of the hottest matches I've ever seen in my life, and it's probably one of the reasons why this match gets lauded so much as one of the greatest because. I love the intros they do in all Japan during this period. Guys standing backstage waiting to go out. It's beautiful. So so iconic for this era. I love that they do it. Um, and just when they're in the ring and the bell rings. The, the cheer from the crowd at the bell ringing. Yeah. Mm. yeah That's the first thing I noticed. Well, obviously, the first thing I noticed because it's the first thing that happened in the match. Um, but yeah, nuclear hot this crowd is. Big fight feel. From the start. It's like that audible screaming tension of excitement it, it's there from the very like you normally get on the go home the go home sequences in Japan when they're really into the match but they were there from the like as you say from the first bell yeah so wow they are so excited to see this putty in their hands this is for the triple crown uh, obviously there's a lot of history with Masao and Kawada uh, I felt that the crowd was quite pro Kawada early um I wasn't sure. I didn't realise they were so into Kawada and probably maybe three quarters of the way through when I think he, he explodes with some kind of kick to the face and they just explode with Kawada chant out of nowhere. Um, up until then, it was just... I'd, I'd, my ear... Oh, I just hadn't picked up the um, which way it was split. I'd maybe I just assumed it was Misawa because it was Misawa. Yeah. But no, they, there was a, a genuine... I wouldn't want to put percentage on it, but it was very fifty-fifty. Probably yeah. more, slightly more towards Masao, but I don't know. Depending on the moment in the match, it, it would yeah. swing. So, and I think some people were probably there just were there cheering both through the sheer excitement of these two fighting at this time. So, um, I wouldn't even want to say who was most over, to be honest. Yeah, I just assume Masao, but I could be wrong. I think uh, maybe an element of sort of the the pro Kawada impression that it sort of leaves you is a lot to do with much of this match being about. Or at least my interpretation was Kawada being first to the punch. You know, in the sense that he's got Masawa scouted to a large oh, yeah. extent in, in their exchanges. Early on, yeah, yeah. Early on, I think that sort of lends itself. Like, uh, what was the one sequence that, that stood out to me in the early f- stages where uh, Kawada's on the outside, Masawa goes over the top, comes back in, mm-hmm. and then seconds later he's running off the apron to, to try and do a diving for himself. But Kawada's got him scattered. He's got. A, he's seen him coming. He lays one in himself while he's in yeah, midair. Punches him in the face. I just said very much the, the the beginning stage of that match always just seemed like, okay, Kawada's got him this time because I think I'm right in saying at this point, Kawada doesn't have a singles victory nope. over Masawa. Nope, 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 nope. In fact, I'm not sure if he even pinned him at this point. I think the tag match when he finally pins him is '95. Could have that wrong. I we'll have to check that afterwards. But I'm pretty sure the tag match when he first pins him with a power bomb is the is the following year. So they tie up. We get a clean break by Kawada to start. Let's walk through this thing. They have a little bit of an exchange. Kawada goes off the ropes, misses the uh, the first attempt at a front kick, and there's a gasp. Oh, he missed. He missed his kick. The next spot, they run the ropes. Kawada uh, hits his kick, but Masawa just kind of doesn't go down. Comes off the ropes uh, as if he's going to kind of fight back with an elbow and walks straight into a spin kick. So yeah. Kawada's got him. Got his number here early on. Um, big back suplex by Masao. Soon afterwards, Kawada uh, moves to the apron to kind of sell, uh, which I like. You know, Masao doesn't really get a lot in early on. So when he hits his back suplex, Kawada... I love that and I love the way Kawada sells. It's one of the reasons why he is so fucking great. 
is, and, and this happens several points in this match, where he sells in a way that doesn't feel in keeping with the tone and, and timing and positioning of the match. So it really kind of stands out. So like here he takes up like this suplex really early on, and he just like kind of like rolls the apron and holds the back of his head for quite a while. He's just like lying down there, and uh, really kind of like slows the pace. But um, good stuff. They we we get the deal here, like you say, where um, Kawada ends up on the floor. Masao hits the ropes. This is rope flip. Flips back into the ring. Hits like a little bit of a drop kick on the, on Kawada. Then moves to the apron, runs and dives off for the uh, for the elbow suicida, and nope, punch in the face. Punch in the face by Kawada. Lovely. Um, Kawada's in control. Starts hitting chops on the neck. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, we get a half crab from Kawada with his boots standing on Masao's head. Yeah, see, what, what, when, what was the trigger for the, to start working the neck? Because obviously that was the, it was pretty early. That it, it was early, but yeah. there really wasn't, there wasn't one big thing, which we'll get to in, in the next match we're going to talk about, where there was quite a clear moment where it's like, okay, the neck, the neck, the neck's the story. It was just he just started going for it. He just started going for. He started chopping his neck. So that was it. He's that, that's 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 the plan of attack. Pacing's great. They're going back and forth, um, but they're paying like you know they're paying, You can tell kind of the crowd's like paying attention to the little things and they, they react very. They react, the crowd reacts strongly to little things. Um, so like when they do things like where Kawada like will hit like a kick in the face, like if he's like kicking him around a little bit and then he kicks him once in the face. The crowd's like oh that hit in the face. Yeah. I mean- and it's a point you'll get to later in the match, but the the exchange of a punch apiece yeah. that they that they respond to as well. Yeah. That the the kick in the face, which is the one where, again this is in the corner where he's like he's kinda of booting him a few times, hits one that hits high, and the crowd gasps, and he kinda of moves around Masawa and you can see his ears bleeding. The it's like I don't know if it's from the inside of the ear or the cauliflower ear has popped or something like that, the calcified part, but he goes by the floor he goes to the floor by himself just to kind of sell that ear a little bit and kind of like you know it's really good because he talked about well well, he's Masao so he won't say poor selling because that's a stupid thing to say but his subtle selling mm. i.e. he doesn't do a lot most of the time yeah his um, face doesn't change all that much no um, apart from later in the match but yeah which is fine um, I think it's kind of that's Okada's technique but I think I do think Okada does it better than Masao um, but yeah but the point was the bidding from the ear um, is it's yeah, it's a nice serious touch that okay, he's not visibly selling really discomfort too much, you know, mm. true discomfort pain, but well, that's a nasty looking. He's acknowledging it's there. Yeah, that's registered. that's that's okay. So this guy's in pain. Just yeah, it's just a nice framing of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Eventually, Masawa rolls in. Kawada's still in control. Um, Kawada's kicking at Masawa, kicks him in the leg. And Masao just gets up and responds with like several leg kicks. This is great. And drops him. This was brilliant. Yeah, because because Kawada's selling of the leg from this point is just wonderful. It's amazing. Absolutely brilliant. Um, like yeah, literally probably the best selling of a leg you'll ever. See. I think I thought to myself, I'm not sure I've ever seen the leg sold as beautifully from a, such a simple sequence of just an exchange of kicks. Yeah. Again, a real nice simple. He, he tried to kick. Masao a leg thinks, kick. Masao's like, fuck this. I can do that too, and gives one back, and he's just better at it. He's so like he's five in a row, and just drops him, sinks him. Because you get a few moments like that in, in the match where, although I say Kawada does seem to have him scouted, you do get these few moments where. It's almost like a, a switch goes off with Masao. Enough of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget who's top dog here, and it's me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> More kicks by Masawa. Puts him in a half crab, and, uh, and Kawada kind of kicks his way out from underneath, which is quite, quite a cool little spot. Um, 
The legwork continues, and I just wrote down, Kawada's selling is out of this world. Because it's like, he doesn't do too much, but everything's a struggle. Like, there's one point where Masao's kind of got him grounded, and he's got his knee on his inner thigh, and he's bending the leg up. And Kawada's not overselling it, like, he's in agonizing pain, but it's like, he's kind of like, ah. You can kind of sense it, but like anytime he tries to move, the face contorts. And he's one. trying to move towards the edge every time he does it. It's like it's, it's excruciating to do so. There's one spot as well when he goes to throw a kick, and his stunning leg is the bad leg, and he doesn't even throw the kick. Like he kind of the stunning leg collapses as yep. he's throwing mid kick. It's like God, that looked great. Yeah, it's just yeah, wonderful selling. Uh, when they both get to a vertical base, Quada is limping, and uh, he kind of like obviously they're going to break away a bit. Kawada gets up and he backs into limping badly towards the ropes and starts kind of just like squatting a little bit to kind of like try and get his leg feeling a little bit normal a little bit normal and I love this because this is always stuck in my head as a bugbear where like there was a match on a takeover with like American Alpha I can't even remember exactly what the show was but one of the guys got chop blocked I think Chad Gable got chop blocked and Corey Graves on commentary immediately goes that leg is completely useless now it's like it's one chop block and they, get, they haven't even done what they're going to do yet which is get heat on him and beat the leg up more where it's like let's have a bit of an escalation can we please it's like here we've had like Kawada like I said in, in pain when he's trying to move around and like he's trying to you know it's, he's not he dead get, he wants to get the circulation flowing trying to ease it up a he's bit he's trying to shake it off he's trying to get you know things feeling a little bit more normal because things been, are going to get worse before it's not get been better. cut off no exactly <laughs> and that's the thing the next spot Masao goes straight for the leg kicks him and quads collapses it's like oh fucking god damn it you know and this is where the chants really start for Kawada because the selling is so good it's like okay they're all making noise for Kawada now because the selling is just fucking brilliant uh, very little offense from, from Kawada to fight back but a single elbow from, from Masao shuts him back down uh, Masao hits a drop kick I love this spot. He gives him a drop kick, and it kind of like it doesn't drop Kawada. It's kind of moves him back into the ropes, and Kawada just kicks him straight in the face. Like Masao's on his knees after the drop kick, and Kawada's still on his feet. So it's like he sort of out of happenstance. He sort of goes back against the yeah. ropes, and the, the you know the, mo- the momentum it pushes him back towards Masao, and as he's going, oh, fuck it, just get the boot. fuck you. I'm going to kick you in the face. Like again, not perfect pre textbook how to take every move, but real. It feels real. Just fucking boot. Feels like a struggle. It does. Absolutely does. So uh, that's just fantastic. Uh, Koala lifts him up, gives him an elbow, but uh, but Koala. Oh no, sorry, Masao gives him the elbow, but Koala hits the jump kick. That that that, that sweet little side jump kick that he does, which uh, floors Masao. So Koala's back in the fight. Uh, Kawada tries to lift him up and he's kind of like dead weight he picks up there another little, little touch I, I like here where he picks him up by the head after the uh, the high kick oh where he does it twice and then he does goes it for twice, a pin. and then he goes for the cover because he's not moving and he gets to two and the people actually react like oh my god oh oh thank god Masao it's like they bought that it's like a serious <laughs> potential finish how great's that um, goes for the power bomb there's Kawada which is uh, the thing he kind of goes back to several times here uh, there's a backdrop counter by Masao Kawada gets up and just drop kicks him in the back. Again, no, nothing, nothing pretty or, or fancy here. Uh, Kawada goes back to start hitting the neck chops, and this is when he's got the, the one arm and he starts chopping away, kind of kabashi style. And the crowd is just so fucking hot. They are as hot now as they were at the start. It hasn't really dipped. The only, oh, time, the only time it ever dips in terms of quietness is when they're in a hold where you're observing. Yeah, they're just waiting for the neck. Yeah, but even then. Even then, with the holds, I never get the sense. Maybe because of how hot the crowd is, I never get the sense. This is the 
Randy Orton chin lock. Oh, this, Christ, is, this, no. is, this is the rest period for them. Because you still see them struggling. You know, um, when Masao got basically the forearm across Kawada's face. Ah, oh, the face lock later and on. And it's, you know, you still see Kawada struggling. You still you still see an element of the struggle. So it doesn't feel like a, okay, let's stop, regroup, catch our breath. It, it feels like it, it's part of the ongoing struggle. Yeah, there's a, the, Kawada goes for the powerbomb again, there's another block, and there's a great shot at this point of the blood trickling from Masao's ear, like a single trickle onto his cheek. But it's going all the way down. It's like, that looks ace. That just looks so good. Um, Misao is uh, back in the fight, goes for the Tiger Driver, but there's a, there's, uh, and there's a series of like, blocks and counts of big moves in a row where it's like, go for the powerbomb, no. Go for the Tiger Driver, no. Go for a sit-back suplex, no. Eventually, Misawa hits the normal Tiger Driver for a two. Goes to the top for a fog splash, gets a two. Goes for the face lock, which is the, uh, uh, looks like a simple chin lock. He basically like hooks one arm and then kind of does like a little bit of a cross face. Which was like a hugely over move because he'd beaten like Jumbo Sarito and like some he'd beaten some top names with this face lock, the most simple move in the world. And they eat it up. And they are like, oh my god, this is the move. <laughs> just a, ah, ah. Like there's a huge pop when he makes the ropes. You know what I mean? From from this this deathly face lock. Uh, Masawa comes back off the top rope into Kawada, who hits one of his flying his uh, his flying kick. Insane heat. The, the heat just escalates here with, with everything. Kawada goes for the power bomb, but it's blocked. There's a just a straight kind of punch to the face here. It was what you're talking about before, where nope, that's not going to work. Punch to the face, picks him up, goes for the power bomb again. This time Masawa gets up and punches him in the face, and they both go down. Simple, great, beautiful, beautiful. They're fighting back and forth. Kawada's on top and hits a fucking nasty, nasty side like Saito suplex, head and, and neck, I, and I. Yeah, because I know of who say, it is and, and, and what happened, and this just, being the move that killed him, and you just yeah, you just wince. Oh. So what you're saying is, despite all the jobs, Kawada had the last laugh. I suppose that is what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're I'm quite done. right, Kieran. Kawada wasn't internally decapitated. A power bomb to win. <laughs> <laughs> A power bomb by Kawada finally hits this this, this power bomb, and when Misawa kicks out. This I can't I can't do justice to how hot this crowd is. This is the hottest crowd of any of the matches we've watched. Sure sure. Oh, then you sort of get the oh, sort of like a rumbling of the the feet. Sounds like I'm not sure I've ever seen a match with the crowds this hot before, including the litany of all Japan that we've watched. Yeah, it was Canadian Stampede. Nah, this is hot. This is hot. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Oh, I thought you were talking about perhaps the uh, the reaction to uh, the, the the Blackjacks Godwins match on the free for all, but. Uh, well, you know, it's called a spade a spade here. It's a real hipster take I thought you were going for there. <laughs> but after finally hitting this powerbomb, the crowd is just absolutely insane. Um, Kawada with a German suplex. Masawa goes to the floor. Uh, he, go, you know, he gets rolled back in. Kawada back out there. Getting back in the ring. Hits a second powerbomb. Two count again. Goes for a third one. And, and this time Masawa's going for the ropes. Kawada hooks him and puts him in the stretch plum, which is kind of like, the, uh, kind of like a dragon sleeper abdominal stretch kind of hybrid. Um, but he immediately goes to the ropes Kawada pulls him back into the middle seated, seated on the mat in the middle of the ring properly applies the stretch plum and he's just going back and forth back and forth stretching his head and neck and this is where the crowd comes alive with the Masawa chance he, they're back into it for Masawa now and, and he just holds this move long enough where he drops it he lets go of the hole goes for a cover and gets a two and the crowd pops huge again because he's been in this submission hole so long 
Um, Misawa with an elbow knocks him down. Kawada with a kick in the face knocks him down. Uh, Misawa with an elbow, double down. Just back and forth, incredible action. A gem from Misawa. A tiger suplex for a two count. Um, Misawa goes for another gem, but Kawada makes it to the ropes. Misawa pulls him off and not pulls him off sexually. But, oh, <laughs> but then, as, as he's pulling him off the ropes, Kawada. Kawada hits a capo kick, which goes it's straight in the face. The rolling capo kick. That was just absolutely sensational. The crowd goes nuts for, for this rolling kick. Um, he hits one more. Again, the Kawada chants are back now. Masawa goes to the floor. And it's interesting because at this point, the pace really slows after this last capo kick because Masawa gets to his feet on the floor. And Kawada's like on one knee, looking at Masao on the outside. It's like this kind of old West stare down, of like not like overly, you know, um, WWE with the cameras going back and forth, with them both talking to each other or anything stupidly elaborate. Simple staring at each other. Masao gets back in, and they're trading off. After everything, we're, we're, we're back. These two gunslingers duking it out. Duking it out. Kawada wins this back and forth. And Masao is in the corner, gets knocked to his knees, and Kawada fucking lights, lights his ass on fire with kicks to the face, like four in a row that are absolutely devastating. And Masao here goes again, fuck this, gets up and gives him one elbow, and Kawada like staggers back and just goes all the way down. This is an incredible exchange. After, after all this, this is such an incredible exchange. Kawada gets back up, rolling elbow, knocks him back down. We get a flurry of elbows from Masawa. Goes for the Tiger Driver, but it's blocked. He hits one more elbow to knock him down, picks him up, Tiger Driver 91, and drops him straight on his head and neck. Jesus. One, two, three. Place Everybody ex- lose your damn minds. Place explodes. <laughs> They're lying on the ground for minutes, selling. Here come the ice packs. Here come the young boys. Here comes Kabashi looking great. Was Yunakiyama there? Yunakiyama was I there. I thought I saw Yun. What a fucking great match. Your thoughts, gentlemen, if there's anything you want to add on the wonderfulness of this match and these two men. I want to go home and watch it again. <laughs> it's just, I... I, I love Masawa so much. But it, it would be, it would be remiss of us to, and I know we've touched on it, just sleep on how good Kawada is. Kawada's the man Misa, of the match for me. Misa, I love Kawada Misa, Misa here. Misawa's great, but this this isn't this isn't a Shawn Michaels dragging a deadbeat to a to a decent match. This these are two <laughs> these are two people on top of their game. Two of the all time oh, best to ever lace them up. Oh, it's just wonderful. It never ceases to amaze me how that we said about. Misawa's lack of emoting anything at the start and it is just like Okada it's, it's Okada I was going to draw it's the so parallel is, later but when he gets into the second half of the match and he is selling it, it's so it's it's only it's still only subtle but because like he won't emit anything early on early doors it stands like a sore thumb and so the crescendo of the match is like it's on on subtlety levels ahead of like most things I've seen you say because but he does it all the time it's amazing every time I watch it that this guy who has has emitted no emotion so far now it's like he's turned it up from zero to zero point two five and it stands like a sore thumb and it's, it's genius the, the sweaty hair helps as well the sweaty hair yeah. they're, they're drenched in sweat just 
even if his face doesn't contort too much and it's not over the top it's just, you do get a sense of, Jesus Christ these two men are fucked he walks around like he's fucked yeah well <laughs> yeah well, <I> <laughs> but little things as well like early in the match he'll be selling and he'll but he'll, he'll take a knee at certain yeah. points mm-hmm. to rest and it's nice little things it's like it's like, yeah he's hurt now but he's not super hurt now and he doesn't have to emotion like a pandering baby face because he's Misawa god damn it so they'll get into me anyway he's got presence and he'll turn, he turns it up and the intensity and the distress goes up notches through the match as well and it, it works every single time it's yeah it's not like the the one kick in the stomach that keels someone over or the Lex Luger into a turnbuckle type of cell you know and everything is just emitting a loud noise well it's, it's the one thing the one I, the bugbear I have with him is when he's lying on his back cell in early doors and his eyes are wide open he looks like he's just lying there but pulling his tights up yeah, yeah, ah, yeah you know adjusting what? the tights that's the Hogan special yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about I was thinking about this watching this match is this some kind of subliminal it's like a projection of I'm not beating you I'm not out of it you're still alive if you've got, if you've got enough to do that it's supposed to be a subliminal pull of the tights but if you're still doing that you're Brain still working, and it, but he's selling his. The point is, it's, when he's just lying there and his eyes are wide open, it's like, what are you doing? But it's because he's hurt, but he's consciously just regaining you know, his bearings and things like that. And as it goes through the match, and as he steps up, and he's no longer doing it, and, and, and they're playing properly there, it's just, it's just amazing every time that it's like, mm, he doesn't yeah. seem to be doing much. But it is, it's totally but Okada. He is. It's totally Okada. But he is. It's, it's very Okada. And it's funny watching, I love watching Old Japan in the 90s the first half of the 90s especially I can't these guys are so great and I love Kenta Kabashi Kenta Kabashi is one of my all time favourites and I always think it's funny when people make the, the debate about who's the best of the three with Kabashi Masao and Kawada because you can't to me you can't compare them they're all so different at what they do best and like Kabashi to Masao to compare the two it's like Kawada is the fucking fiery he, he's, he's enormous <laughs> he's a huge guy but works like an underdog and it has the facial expressions of an underdog back, you know, getting in the fight kind of a thing. Whereas Masara is like the guy who's like in perfect control at all times. God, he's the guy to beat. He's the and, and, and it helps. Like it's like it's an apple and an orange, but it's not the triggers that one's wearing green, one's wearing <laughs> orange. But I mean, you, you know what I mean. Like it, it's, yeah. it's 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 and Kawada again completely different. And it's like you know you draw these parallels because it's what you see. But there's a lot of Ishii, a lot of uh, Kawada and Tomohiro Ishii, oh, yeah, yeah. where Ishii will do the things like like Kawada does, where he takes the time to sell something a little bit differently, a little bit out of key, so it stands out a lot more. Like yeah, just those different little touches. Oh, Kawada is totally a hybrid MMA fighter ahead of his time. Yeah. Was he, was he even ahead of his time when, when was Pank Racing? Oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, rings and the UDFI and all that stuff was going on around you know, late 80s anyway. So, so. it's there. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's it's there. It's in the in Japan. It's in the it's in the it's in the, the sight line. So, and we're going to go from that, which was just an extraordinary, extraordinary match, to another classic, New Japan Pro Wrestling, August twelfth, two thousand seventeen. It is the B Block Final from the G One Climax twenty seven. Uh, it was Kazuchika Okada against Kenny Omega, and two very different styles of Japanese match back to back two matches that have been lauded as being perhaps some of the, among the greatest of all time these matches um, with uh, Kawada and Masara and then this one here with, uh, with Okada and Kenny but very different styles as we were talking about before we, uh, we kicked off Kieran on, in terms of the, the See, style the pacing it is but I mean what I'd say about this match is it's because they've had the two previous matches which have gone long and this is 
I've seen the, the G1 with the was it 30 minutes time, minute time limit so that naturally changes the dynamic they're having and that's part of the match that's part of the story they're telling that they're, mm. they are going more balls out from the start with less yep. than neither of them are really trying to figure out the other guy because you don't need to figure out the other guy because they figured out the other guy already because they wrestled twice so now it's just going out it's trying to do your shit to the other guy and the other guy they know each other quite well so they're countering a lot of things and I so I wouldn't say it's totally uh, it's it's born out of the early Japanese stuff for me it's totally totally still that you can see, and obviously the connection between Masara and Nakada and their way of selling maybe that's influences that take on it but I see it, it's still there it's just that this is taken up 20 whatever 20 years after whatever and it's just guys with modern training technique especially Kenny Kenny's just from a pure 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 wrestling moves perspective the athletic aspect athletic, of wrestling Kenny Omega's probably the best wrestler of all time from a pure physical perspective wow he moves so fucking fast so crisp everything he does looks amazing offensively and defensively like AJ Styles is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time he's phenomenal he really is he's not on the le- he's a different level to Kenny Omega Kenny Omega's a different level to, to, to AJ Unfortunately for Kenny, you do have Bush League personality, Kenny. I'm telling you now, sunshine. <laughs> you, like you a see fucking in, star. In even his best matches, you still see that. You see it. In Japan, we said this before. In Japan, he, gets, he got away with it because he was a gaijin and it's, he's presented as different. He's, he is a star. He's, he's different to the people who are watching it. My, my trouble with him now, currently, and going forward, if we want him to be the, the star we, we need him to be, is... Um, he, he, he's just a guy he, he is a, he comes across like a fan who happens to be really fucking good at this thing but he is in terms of this match he's on a different level I think to, he's the modern he's the, way, he's the future of what a wrestler athletically needs to be yeah um, and Okada in terms of storytelling and pacing may be the best in the world right now anyway so when you put these two together Fuck! <laughs> they can't have a bad match, dude. They can't have anything less than a five-star match. Yeah, this was ridiculous. This actually got six from from Big Dave. I would say it, you can't do that. First of all, that's bullshit. Because are you going to do that to all your matches, Dave? Um, well, he'd done it before, hadn't he? Um, I forget when. It was July. It was January fourth. It was the first match of, with with Okada and Kenny in the Tokyo Dome. No, but, where he, but, he, but he did. Okada and Omega weren't the first ones to get the six star, Dave, were they? I think they were. I, I thought him and Cornette talked about this. He'd given something else six stars years ago. No, I don't remember. First of all, you've talked about whether it is five or six too much. It's a yeah, oh yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> That's this is Dave Meltzer's problem for probably listening to the internet about your star system too much. And all he's trying to say is a rational issue with Meltzer. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think the point which Meltzer was all the point Meltzer was saying by making it six stars, which is an absurd thing to do, is that this is on a different level. This is the next level to the five star match he's seen before. It really, really is. Um, which why he hasn't chosen to do this previously is interesting because throughout history that's always the case surely yeah. but it, it really is I think this is um, I don't the pacing of it works for me because I think that, that adds to it because they've got they're constrained with time when they've gone so long before so they're just trying to fight everything at each other especially Kenny Kenny's pulling everything out and it's I, so slick and the exchanges are so uh, I, I, just, I think this is really a wonderful match wonderful wonderful match go Carl and if, if I'm not mistaken that there is the Dynamic here. I don't know if it was touched upon much on commentary. Well, if, if I've got my, my bearings right here, Liam, and, I, and you can maybe correct me on this, 
the dynamic of the B block was that Omega needed the win. Yeah, Okada so, technically didn't need a win. No, so the deal so that, was... Pl- that plays into the story a bit as well. Absolutely and, 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 it does. Ken, which I don't think... Which they didn't really touch upon on commentary. Now, I was going to ask about They did this, on the intros, that's about it. Because I was watching this with the Kevin Kelly and, and, Cy- and Cyrus commentary. And it's it's, it's always... It's always an issue I have when it comes to Callus and Kenny Omega matches. It's the, the way the way he comes across, I find very grating. Japanese commentary, my friend. Oh, I always watch these shows. Absolutely. Japanese commentary, and, and I can I can I contrast that with the previous match that we've just talked about, where I haven't got a bloody clue what they're saying, but they're conveying a hell of a lot of emotion and excitement, and I'm along for the ride. Yeah. Whereas. Callis' commentary takes me out of a match or really? can take me out of a match because he's so Omega fanboy it's so over the top it's not what I call the typical heel dynamic it's sort of and it, yeah it just sort of sort of grates on me a little bit <laughs> now th- that being said I did really enjoy this match I completely understand why you go for the dynamic you do with the time constraints with the, the man the sort of the manner of the, the competition the B block I understand all that I didn't like it as much as the first two and if I'm contrasting it with the previous match we've talked about there whether or not you want to get into the minutia of five star or six star let's just go with the premise of Omega Okada is a level above theoretically on, on, on sort of Melsa's rationale we're going with here is a level above, say, Kawada and Masawa, I completely disagree with that notion. I think Kawada and Masawa is just as good, if not better. Interesting. Interesting. So, on the, on the introduction, to kind of set the scene for the folks who may not have seen this match or may not remember it perfectly, in the G1, Kenny, this was the... Just that, oh, I mean, just, just very quickly on that. I mean, in terms of storytelling, yeah, they're not... Misawa, Kawada and Kabashan throw, throw him in as a third wheel even though he's not in this match <laughs> well, I'm going to because I like him your storytelling yeah they are on a different level they're, they're, that was the, that, that was what that period did better than any other period in wrestling in my opinion I think from so yeah the, the, the storytelling in Omega and Nakada even given the nature of the story they are telling with the time limit constraints yeah, that's not on the same level as the psychology in in, in Masao, but from a pure athletic point of view, that's why I put I'll, the only point. I'll go on. I'm, I'm prefacing points like Chase here, but it, <laughs> but it, that's why I'm. I, at, I, I see yeah, what you're yeah, making yeah, as a contrast. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, so just to, again, just to explain, in the G1, this is the final match for the B block. Kenny has 12 points going to this. Okada has 13 because he'd had the draw with Tanahashi. They'd had the match at the uh, at the Tokyo Dome where Okada had beaten Kenny Omega, and they'd had the rematch at Dominion, which was the 60-minute draw. So Kenny had never beaten him, and now he was in a position where he'd, he'd never beaten him, and they'd never gone less than 40 minutes in a match together. And now they're in a 30-minute match where Kenny has to beat him. Okada can have the draw and still win. Uh, so that's kind of the nice setup here for uh, for Kenny. The crowd is 50-50 to start with. When the bell rings, there's the, there's the you know, Kenny, there's Okada, Chance, you can't tell. But it's a fast start. Again, there's a missed dropkick from Okada, there's a missed V-trigger from Kenny, a missed Rainmaker, a Snapdragon suplex from Kenny, which, which connects. He goes for the one-wigged angel immediately, which doesn't work. Uh, in the end, Okada ends up hitting a big dropkick and sending Kenny to the floor. 
So they're they're, they're they're going for the big stuff and have hit a couple of, hit hit a big thing pretty early. Uh, Okada boots him over the guardrail, and, and this is uh, his usual running cross body block over the guardrail into the crowd, which hits and wipes out the first row of seats, which looks very good. Uh, Okada is it's noticeable here that Okada has tape on his neck from the beatings that he's received in the G1 thus far, which obviously ties in quite well to uh, to the rest of this match. Um, Okada chucks him back in the ring, hits his top rope elbow, and goes for like the rainmaker pose, which is the, the traditional you know camera wipe, zoom out. the camera zoom out. Which usually comes at about the 25 minute mark in an Okada match, and we're here at about 4 minutes, 4 or 5 minutes, and we're already going for it. Uh, Omega runs into the floor, uh, hits a plancher on Okada, and Okada like falls backwards into the guardrail from the plancher and starts selling the neck. And it's like, ah, lovely. Here we go. Um, Okada gets thrown back in, Ken hits that top rope drop to the back of the neck, which always looks fucking evil. Um, and Kenny's in control. And he's cranking the neck, and he's just working on the neck. He rips the tape off, so we, we get that. He throws it at Ghetto on the floor. Um, Kenny's just in control, holding the chin lock. Uh, Okada gets like a little bit of something here. He hits like a big boot uh, for a hope spot, but then when he goes for a senton to follow up, Kenny puts the knees up, and the knees hit him in the back of the neck. So we're, we're, we're telling the, the very simple story here. Eventually, Okada hits his, uh, his neck break, where he's holding the guy upside down behind him over the knee uh, for the double down. And we're into the comeback already. Okada goes for his comeback with his, with his elbow and his European uppercut. Hits a DDT, but doesn't do the nip-up. Can't do the nip-up. Goes to do it, puts his legs up like he's going to do it, and then kind of neatly folds one into the other because he can't do it. And they make the point on commentary that it was enough of a struggle for him to get up after the uh, the beating on the neck. And again, at this point, with the, with the selling we were talking about before, with the expressions, it's a lot of holding the neck. It's not a lot of kind of overtly grimacing and screaming. It's It's, it's there. It's present. He's aware of it. We're all aware of it, but it's going to get a lot worse for uh, for Okada. Um, he goes for the tombstone, but can't get him up. Okada just clubs him on the neck. Sorry, Omega clubs Okada on the neck. Just that's like the, kill the comeback, club him on the neck, and starts hitting those chops to the chops neck. Chops to the back. Chops yeah. to the back of the neck that just sound evil. Uh, goes for like you can't escape the rolling. Uh, Callus is really good then actually. He, he was on that. Christ. Jesus Christ! Yeah, a couple of times when he's when he's doing that. Goes for the second rope moonsault, but uh, Okada gets the knees up this time. Um, can, can I just just as an, an example of what, of what Kira refers to, there, and I, I know I've mentioned it several times on podcasts, but that's bushly Kenny that annoys me. That you can't escape. You're, you know, you're in this frantic mode. You desperately need a, a win. Everything you've done up to now conveys that. But you've got to get him up on your shots, and you've got to pull your face as you do. That you can't escape, and it just—it's those little moments that just stand out so much in a negative way. <laughs> Eventually, Okada ends up on the floor, and Kenny goes for the uh, the Terminator dive. Basically, takes off the ropes. Okada just bombs it back in. And hits a massive, massive flapjack, and both men are down. Um, Kenny ends up on the apron, goes for a springboard, but Okada leaps to the heavens with a. F- Fabulous drop kick that sends Kenny to the floor. Um, goes to the floor, goes for a tombstone on the floor, but Kenny gets behind him and hits a reverse Hurricane Rana on the outside, which looks brutal. It's the way he does it as well. It, he just explodes into this. Yeah. So by the time he's leaped up, his ankles are already around his head, and Kenny's already backwards. Brilliant. Yeah. And this gets sold huge. The uh, the Hurricane Rana, the reverse Hurricane Rana on the floor. The dot comes over. The referee's there. Callis is talking about how they might need to stop the match because that neck's been bad for a lot of the tournaments and yeah, now we, 
Again, we want to win, but we don't want it this way. Not for you. Fuck you, Carlos. Telling you, telling you, Japanese commentary. Uh, more people come over to help, but Oka- and there's the, you know, the big Okada chance starts up here. But Kenny just throws him back in the ring. He's like, no, doesn't want to win. He's just going to. He wants to beat him. He wants to beat him. Gets him upon the apron and gives him the snapdragon suplex on the apron. Looked horrible. After seeing uh, Ibushi take that German on the uh, Jeez, the apron, yeah. by the way, a couple of weeks ago, that was far worse than this. This wasn't pretty. No. Who did I see? Did something stupid on? T- on th- you might want to pause this, but was it, go ahead. was it the AEW show when someone was it? it wasn't Janela, was it? Who took the took an elbow and just landed flat on the back on the, on the apron? What did Darby Allen did the there suicidal you go. fucking there you go. backwards Darby dive? Allen. I can't remember it was. Yeah, <laughs> <What> an idiot. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, that that was worse than this. That was much worse than this. Um, yeah, so the, the neck again, working on that neck. The snapdragon <laughs> on the apron, um, throws him back in, hits that kind of that suplex into the neck breaker that he does. Gets a two and gets a big pop after 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 the long period of selling. Hit that move, gets a big pop for the kick out. At this point, they're really kind of putting over that this has really been apart from that one flurry, all Kenny on commentary talking about how this has been a domination pretty much I think there was even a reference to a 10-8 round if it was if it was MMA at this point uh, they're pushing for the ref to stop the match Kenny starts hitting those knees it's not the, v, it's not the V-trigger but it's like the Omega, Carlos is just on his knees and he just walks up and just fucking basically just kicks him in the chest but it looks like a knee and it just, I love that I love his knee I love yeah. when he does yeah. that yeah. So cr- everything looks so snug so that. perfect, so precise just, you're just in awe of how great everything looks when it comes to Kenny Omega um, Okada tries to fight back but one chop from Kenny takes him down uh, and this is where Okada goes into late stage Masao where the face gets fiery he starts to grimace he tries a flurry but Kenny just works on the neck is there some I, I'm not this, I'm just wondering out loud is there some to do with like I don't know Japanese honour or something you don't show it you, you, it's, is it some, I don't know Japanese the, culture the, the notion of being a, a sort of deferential what? people and you're just not generally not conveying emotion yeah so that's and then so that's it that's why they, and that's why they do that yeah. and then they break as the match goes. I just wonder yeah, again it's a, it's a cultural thing I'd love mm-hmm. to know but uh, yeah so at, at this point Kenny's like just hitting his running knees goes for the one winged angel but he gets countered into a tombstone from Okada and both are down they, they, they basically just put over Okada can't follow up the long sell here, big long sell, and Kenny's up first, which I thought was a cool little touch. That like, the tombstone was complete desperation. Kenny's up first, um, and he takes a card to the top rope. A card shoves him down, hits that fucking beautiful missile rocket where the guy's like sometimes seated, but in this case Kenny's on like one knee, and a card just like bombs it up in the air and just hits like a straight front drop kick. Looks great. Follows it up with a shotgun drop kick and just sends him across the ring. And this is where I wrote down Kenny's got silly eyes. This is when he's doing the, the Google eyes yeah. selling for, for the drop kick. And it's just like, ah, we've said this since that first match. Wanker. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't was, say that. <laughs> I was pretty brutal in that first time. I didn't even know. I thought it was from Deuce. I thought it was Deuce or Domino. Um, so I didn't know anything about the guy. But yeah, dude, Bush League. Bush League facial, man. Bush League facial sometimes does not help. Um, Okada again is just firing up like a motherfucker here. Takes off the ropes. Gets a V-trigger in the face, which just looks absolutely awesome. Omega takes off. Okada hits the drop kick, which looks even better. Yeah. And Okada, like, his ass is like two feet above Kenny's head on this jump. It's ridiculous, this, the, the fucking spring in this man's step. 
goes for the Rainmaker, but it misses an another V trigger from uh, from uh, from Omega. Reverse Hurricane Ron is was attempted. That the, was that the 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 one when he does it? Not yet. Oh. Not yet. Goes for a Reverse Hurricane Ron, but it's counted to a German Suplex from Okada. Uh, Okada then brings him up, goes for the Rainmaker, but Kenny ducks it and hits a Uranagi. Oh yeah! Right on his neck. Real high, Uranagi. real high Uranagi. And I wrote down, Okada's eyes are much better than Kenny's <laughs> because when he hit that fucking Uranagi, the look in Okada's eyes was every bit as kind of like wide, but like it was like serious, it's like like uh, glassy eye concussions there. Not goofy. I'm Billy Gunn. I've just hit my head on the ring now, post. At wrestling school, I'd love to just sit in and watch the uh, concussion stare class. Yeah, like right. We're gonna teach you how to look like you're concussed. Yeah. No, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> Came with a bamboo stick. Yeah. Do it again. Yeah. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> uh, the one-winged angel is attempted again, and that's, that's the key of the match. They're talking about how how, how Okada's never kicked out of it. Uh, it gets counted into the rainmaker, but there's no cover. Um, he hits the rainmaker. Okada's just dead on the floor. We get the the, the call. Twenty minutes gone. Ten minutes remain. Okada finally makes the cover, and it's only a two. Um, Kenny gets desperate here. It's like they, they and they talk about how maybe the twenty-minute call was a trigger for Kenny. He goes for like a, a, a reverse cradle, kicks out, goes for a backslide immediately. Okada kicks out, grabs the wrist, pulls him into a, a short arm clothesline. They call it the rainmaker, but it's not the real rainmaker. Uh, picks up a second second short arm clothesline. Screams like a madman does Okada to go for the last one, the real wind up, rotate him out, go for it. But Kenny ducks, Germans him twice. It's a second reverse Hurricane Rana for a two. <laughs> it's crazy when you talk about it compared to the Misawa Kawada match where it's like elbows, elbows, kicks, fog splash, tiger driver, power bomb, and here it's like this flurry of absolutely incredible moves and counters. Um, goes for the one-winged angel, but Okada kind of is fighting out of it, fighting out of it, so Kenny turns into the Kreutz Wrath where he bumps him off his shoulders, catches him in the German, and then goes all the way back. Beautiful stuff. Another two count. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Kenny goes for the V-trigger, where, where Okada's by the ropes. Gets counted into a huge drop kick. Okada goes for the Rainmaker one more time. Kenny ducks it and spins Okada out in the Rainmaker into the V-trigger. So which is an awesome move. So an awesome spot. Hits a double underhook pile driver right on top of his head. One, two, kick out again. The place is going crazy. Kenny hits one more V-trigger, finally hits the one-winged angel, and and one, two, three. Right on his neck, and it's, I love it because it's like, he, when he finally hits it and he's got the leg, he's just like, yes, one, two, three, because he knows he's won. Well, he did, that, he, did, he did that earlier in the match as well. Yeah. He, he didn't hook the leg early, but he still celebrated. I can't remember what it was off. Might have been a V-trigger. Um, so it was, at least it was in keeping, but yeah, god damn. It's over. Kenny Omega has finally pinned Okada. He's got 14 points to Okada's 13. He's won the B block. Kenny Omega has done it, and it wasn't for the title. <laughs> so now that you've watched this, obviously, and we've talked about the kind of the run through of the match, thoughts on, Oka on, on, on Kenny versus, o versus Okada in terms of performance based here? Because Kenny's the workhorse who's just fucking working his absolute bollocks off, as he always does. I just can't help watching Okada. Anytime I watch any of these Kenny Okada matches, I'm thinking he's the one he's holding who's holding it together. He's the glue. Yeah. He's totally the glue. So I, thought, I thought. I think I prefer the first one. I need to watch more to, to really uh, to be honest on that. Um, I think yeah. Uh, I think I did always prefer the first one, and from the very first one, my, my feeling was 
Okada's the one holding this match together. He's, the pacing is all it's all him. Yeah. Um, Kenny's the spectacular one. He's the spectacular one, but he brings the sprinkles, and it's they, they work brilliantly together. Don't take anything away from Kenny. No, I'm not. But because, as I said, he's just. But he's fucking unbelievable. Uh, he is unbelievable, and Okada's the one. Okada's the, maybe the best guy at pacing I can think of, especially men events anyway. Um, so they just they, it works perfectly together, um, and you get this. An incredible action held together with a main event context and delivery. It's just, it is. This is majorly if fucking one best match, in the world. I would say if there's yeah one match that is obviously because it's the newest one, so it's it's going to be everything is going to be scaled off. The we've done so we've talked so far. I'm not talking about any match or they, their matches. I'm talking what we're talking the about. ones we discussed today. Yeah, this is it's another level it's I thought it was and the psychology before it it might not be to everyone but I would say that's pretty naive and surely psychology is about being idiosyncratic to the match and the circumstances that you have at that time the two guys and context and the audience too the the psychology of of that match whilst it's not working a body part the psychology are the parameters of the time limit the need for a win for for Omega to, to win the B block the fact that he hasn't beaten Okada before, the fact they talk about the fact that he hasn't hit the one-winged angel before, you know, those... Oh, he got the front of the most, he's never kicked yeah. kicked out of it, sorry. You know, that's psychology within the match. And they do work the neck. You know, and they, they do draw on the fact that Okada's neck is fucked from the gruelling nature of the G1. So it's, it's not a match without psychology by any means. No, it's got tons of it. That's why, I, I, to be honest, it's why I think a lot of people do. There's a lot of people that prefer this match to the other ones because they like the kind of story elements that kind of give it like the extra kind of deeper meaning of like, okay, Kenny needs Kenny needs to do the thing he's never done. He needs to beat him. He needs to hit the move he's never hit, gotten to hit him with that he's never kicked out of. And then they yeah, with, with the story of the neck and Okada fighting back and stuff like that. I I love this match. <laughs> Quite simply put, I love this match and I just love watching Okada main events. And now hitting number five of our five uh, five star matches, as voted by uh, Dave Melton, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, it is the great, the wonderful, the sublime Terence Funk. Terry, <laughs> happy happy belated birthday, Terry! Against Ric Flair, it's the I Quit match from New York Knockout Clash Nine on November fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Five letters, two words: I quit, as Gordon Soli says. A uh, much loved, much ballyhooed match. Oh, I wanted to end with this one because after three Japanese matches in a row, with uh, varying styles and varying from varying times and places, the good, you know, the the red hot war games to talk about at the start of the show. I wanted to talk about a brawl last, a heated, fiery brawl, and fucking Flair is probably going to end up being the headliner for like every one of these that we do in some ways because this match is beautiful. Anybody want to talk about Flair, Funk, the 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 the, the, uh, the framing of this match beforehand? Anything that stands out to you immediately before we get into the nuts and bolts of what made this match great? I just, it, it's it's kind of hard to sort of focus on one thing because the story they've told up up to getting here is great. Yeah. With Funk attacking him after after he reclaims the belt from Steamboat, the pile drivers, obviously the the, the match that you have at the Bash. Which, which the scene afterwards which, the, the brawl afterwards it's all just phenomenal I mean that, that match at the bash is fantastic as well you know, one not to be uh, not to be forgotten but, the plastic yeah, bag the angle plastic on bag over the head and, yeah 
the sort of stuff that you're surprised they got away with. Well, considering they really didn't. But, well, yeah. <laughs> Surprising that they thought they might get away with it, <laughs> given the usual Turner edicts. Yes. Um, Jim Heard. But yeah, I mean, yeah, as much as as much as the company is maligned under Jim Heard's stint, and rightfully so, eighty nine has some great moments in it for Dewey Stewart, which are exemplified by Ric Flair first with Steamboat, and then this. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Terry Funk, I love watching Terry Funk. He is one of my favourite wrestlers yeah, in absolutely. the world. Heel or face, particularly as a heel because he's having more fun. Um, God damn, I'm not. I think he could have a match of anyone, and it's entertaining. Yeah. He'd find a way to make it good. Um, he looks. He comes out looking like an absolute badass, and he's like, so. It's New York, you say. Yeah. So it's New York Flair. Actually, Flair's not oh, the Music as well. Yeah, Funk's music. Proper badass cowboy. Out in leather, his body's great. He's incredible. Looks fucking hard. His he muscles looks, look hard. He just, I love that. It was just, it was the hat and the the, the outfit. He looked, it just looked, he looks fucking awesome. <laughs> and like, yeah, this shit's on. And then Flair, obviously the polar opposite to that. It's New York, and he's, he's got the he's girls. More like he's, he's playing the city. Yeah, it's the city of the girls. He's, it's classy. He's sophisticated. Uh, it's just from the start it feels like this is shit this is a big match this is a flair who has his confidence back after the neck injury as well yes that's that's the the, the deal on the story is that he's, he's, he's band determined here to get revenge uh, this is just a fabulous kind of setup for the like yeah, again the intensity fun gets on the microphone to which doesn't work no, does so, give him a chance to quit before the match even starts his he moves away from the microphone more than me doing the show, and he was holding <laughs> and he was holding the goddamn thing in his hands, um, and he didn't wait for a response of, of Flair. Basically, he says to Flair, "I'm gonna give you one more chance to back out this match now." Yeah, but then the match just starts. He doesn't get an answer. He doesn't get told to fuck off, or he, yeah. he's just doing it on on the whim because he fancies doing because he thinks it might be a bit of heat. That's Terry in a nutshell. Yeah, living in the moment and getting seeing what's gonna get over in that moment. But like, just I was watching that little thing. Little lad lives in particular. There's one, and it's this is completely random to be saying it, but it's just brilliant. And it sums up perfectly. You know, he's and he's ad libbing it. That Flair makes a comeback at one point and he hits him, and he just takes a head and he just straight through the ropes to the outside, and he like completely out of control. And Flair's not expecting to bump to go to the outsides, so Flair has to go after him. And Flair being the pro, he goes after him. But it's, it's it is, that, and that's what the magic is with these two guys. You can see they're playing, they're doing their own thing, but playing off each other as well. Yeah. It's, like, it's totally symbiotic, and ah, it's just, yeah, wonder, I just, they're just magical to watch them to play. They're playing together. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's so so much fun. Yeah, and it, it, Funk Terry in general is just so much fun. Anytime, he, anytime yeah. he's in an environment like this, he's just so much fun to watch. Lock up to start with. They break. Funk goes for a big wild swing, which miss. I love Tobin's wild oh. swings. Uh, second time Funk misses a chop but Flair hits his and Terry Funk takes a bump all the way over the top rope to the floor goes to the guardrail <laughs> tries to climb on the guardrail to yell at the fans and slips and goes arse over tits and the fans on the front row are just laughing hysterically at Terry Funk Terry uh... Funk maintains his composure gets up sells a little bit like that smarted and then swings wildly at the fans misses misses of course but enough to shit him up yeah yeah but this was so it's planned he's doing this on purpose don't don't mistake that yeah he's a master he's an absolute master of chaos he is he is a master of chaos it's what what can I do what is like in this what are different options for me to do in this here and you could have 
gone one way, gone one way, or he could have bumped through the ropes and spun around and throw a punch, shown his ass, fall over the, fell over the the the, uh, the rail, and then threw a wall swing, at a, a frustrated wall swing at a fan that misses. Yeah, I'll do that one. I'll do C. <laughs> That'll be fun. They go back in, and Flair takes over with a with a series of chops, and Flair's chops all through this match. As I was say this Flair's that so Flair's playing the face, and he's so subtly brilliant. Um, obviously. Funk's the step star of the match as, as the, as the um, over the top uh, heel and he's absolutely wonderful Flair as the subtle face obviously is much more uh, restrained than you'd normally expect from the, from the heel Flair but so the important things are when he has his comebacks he's got to be fucking fiery hot and, and he is he's like, so I think the first a couple of after, after the first exchange uh, Funk has a little bit a, a nasty spell, spell where they te- so they're teasing the I quit the stip so he has mm-hmm. a little spell he beats a shit out of Flair for just a couple of minutes and he asks him for the first time do you quit I don't think Flair even answers um, and then so that's the, that's that basically the opening almost opening it's not, it's not heat because it's, it's the opening to Salvo to, to establish the rules and then Flair that's when he gets on top he lays in these so his first spell lays in these vicious chops kicks the shit out of Funk Heavy duty style for only a couple of minutes. He gets asked the first time, "Do you?" So that's the, setting the tone for both guys. But the action is, yeah, very so physical. It's it's, it's it is it's heavy. It's tense. Intense. Yeah. It is intense. Um, Terry Funk at one point goes to the floor after a chop and tries to like assault a ringside staff guy before Flair comes out and makes the save. Um, Funk ends up like uh, going to the ropes and hit like a tackle, shoulder tackle on Flair, and Flair like I, I love this. Doesn't get up and do a pro wrestling. Just fucking grabs his foot, takes him down, gets on top, and chokes him with one hand. That was brilliant. The choke. Got, oh. Yeah, because you think he's gonna. Uh, we've had a couple of chop exchanges at this point. Yeah. He d- drops onto him, and you think he's gonna do it back. But he doesn't. He grabs him by the throat. And it's like yeah. such a nasty. Just with the foot, takes him down. That single leg takedown. While Flair's already on the ground, and just fucking snatches him. Yeah. Snatches him by the throat. Fuck. Great. Awesome stuff. Back and forth, we get back and forth strikes. Funk's left hand punches on the floor are just gorgeous. Those fucking he rears back and he just fucking decks him in the forehead. The mystery of the uh, Terry Funk jab. Yeah, <laughs> that he just belched a full full ball. <laughs> <laughs> that is. That, yeah, that's the Mick Foley wrote about in his book about how like he always wondered how Terry Funk's punch looked so good. He was oh, mesmerized yeah. by it. Yeah, yeah, and then he realised. And then he took one. <laughs> yeah, he took one. He goes, I just figured out the mystery. He hit me as hard as he could, and Terry Funk goes, "Oh, Cactus, you just thought I was good all this time." <laughs> yeah. Flair, you know, Funk, get, you know, Funk gets hit. You know, uh, excuse me. Terry Funk hits Flair with the microphone, um, but Flair just chops him back. And again, I just wrote down: this is so intense. This match is so intense. Funk gets in the air, the corner, and starts doing the ten punches, which is for the first time. Gets on the mic and starts screaming: "Do you say it, you pig? You egg sucking dog?" <laughs> Flair gives him the atomic drop out. Uh, Flair starts chopping him. Gets a swing and neck breaker from uh, from Terry for hope in the in the hope spot there. Funk uh, slaps Flair on the knees. Uh, Flair uh, kind of again clutches the throat, uh, chops Terry uh, all the way to the floor, and Rick is on him. Just like as soon as Terry goes to the floor, Rick just like you say follows him right out there. They head back in. Uh, Rick tries to make him say, uh, "I quit for the first time," but Gary Hart causes a distraction at Gary ringside. Gary Hart, by the way, he can fuck off. Yeah, so I was going to mention this later on. Is but, it when uh, he no sells, yeah, Flair, oh, Flair's elbow, yeah, yeah. Um, that's one part of this I don't like. G- generally speaking, I like Gary Hart. Not here. Gary causes the distraction, so Terry Funk gets him. But yeah, th- th- there's there's a uh, a feeling as the match progresses of Gary kind of stepping out of his uh, stepping out of his lane, kind of a, a yeah, yeah, trying to trying to get a bit of spotlight. Well, I, I just thought 
I suppose, you know, Moot is going, so... Oh, yeah. That's his doing. Tony Funk goes for a pile driver for the first time, and he makes Tommy ask him, Tommy Young, who I love as a referee, he's absolutely fabulous, ask him if he quits probably this pile driver. He lifts him up, and he tries to do this twice, so he tries to get Tommy to ask him if he quits while he's holding him upside down, but both times he just falls on his ass and into the pile driver. He can't, he can't hold him long enough. It's a very safe rolling yeah. pile driver. <laughs> it is, really. Hold him fairly low to the ground. But, but the, 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 you know, playing into the story of, I've fucked your neck up before, Flair. Yeah. I'll do it again unless you quit. Unless you quit. Well, he, he says it soon, doesn't he? Yeah. Do you remember, Flair? Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. He takes him to the floor and he stands on the mat where he hooks him for a pile driver and then he just kind of scooches back towards the concrete and does the same thing. See above, I wrote here. Lifts him up, tries to say, ask him, ask him, and slowly falls on his ass. Pile drives Rick. And after the pile driver on the, on the concrete, Jim Ross and Gordon Soli are on, on commentary here. And like, they're awesome in this match. They've got such a great... The balance between the two of Jim Ross full of fire that mid-south the, the, the gritty extremes the yeah. extremes of the two and, and Gordon on colour providing the gravitas providing the the context to, to JR's enthusiasm and there's one point here after the power drive where Gordon in that great voice just says we may be seeing the end of a dynasty right here and just with that voice with that delivery at that place juxtaposed to Jim Ross it's so perfect gravitas it's so perfect you couldn't you couldn't honestly you couldn't script it better it's just it's so, it was just so perfect Gordon actually has a sort of a, a somber feel to him as well mm-hmm. when he says it, so you know it conveys that emotion. Yeah. It's not, oh, it's not the almost comedic hyperbole of a Michael Cole's yeah. yelling. Or, Doesn't even deserve mentioning compared, does it? Really? <laughs> I do, I do it to show the contrast of the high to the low. Yeah, <laughs> and and then this is this is quite the high. Um, but again, like you said before, we went on the air here, and this with, with Gordon being the elder statesman, being the guy who has seen it all and has seen Flair and been calling Flair matches for years, it's great to have him in that kind of role. Um, Funk slams Flair on a table <coughs> after, after Terry pours one over, and then kind of moves it around and kind of props it up onto the apron. Uh, Rick fights back, takes Terry around, and starts banging Terry's head off the uh, the wooden table, which is great. Uh, Rick moves it Funk walks away kind of staggers away and this is where one of two moments where Rick just, sting, just like bombs it back into the shot and jumps on Terry's <coughs> back and takes him to the guardrail and again feels like a fight feels like a fight Flair's fire here is brilliant and this is just amazing jumps on his back takes him into the guardrail throws a chop throws a punch grabs Terry runs with him throws him <coughs> over the table like the guy at the bar Terry slides all the way over the table and hits his face on a chair on the other side. I love Terry Funk! You just feel like he's having a whale of a time. (laughs) In the most painful, violent manner, he's enjoying this in a way. This is the best time Terry Funk could have. This, I just love that spot. He's truly alive. I love that spot so much. Oh my god. At this, this point, Gary Hart does again start trying to get in the way here and this is when I think this is where Flair gives him the elbow and he, he doesn't really even acknowledge it he just kind of well, gets back up and starts trying to fire yeah, up on I guess Flair this, this, the downside of ad-libbing everything is that when Flair he, this momentary pause Flair looks at him he's like they're getting each other's way 
Flair needs to do something to him. He doesn't want to punch him because he knows he's not going to sell it. So he does basically does the atomic grab, elbow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And At first he's just trying to grab him and move him out of the way. Yeah, he do, and he just he just no-sells it. And he's there off talking to the referee some more. And then they just walk past each other like sliding doors. And then it's just, it's just really awkward and horrible. He's, he doesn't even need to be there. No, he's only there for the aftermath. Oh, yeah. Um, Tofun gets crotched on the guardrail and chopped again. And that's a fucking hot, evil chop. <laughs> the point Terry sold this to because you know the way that people sell low blows in this business Terry Funk is on his knees on like shuffling on his knees and you can see his hand just holding his bollocks as he shuffles along not the arms down low crotched up no he's holding clutching in his hand his nuts as he shuffles away Terry can get away with things that others can't he's amazing because it's Terry Funk Terry Funk takes a knee drop when he gets back in the ring here and then just kind of shuffles out the ring. Just like takes a knee drop and just like shuffles like a cockroach out underneath the bottom rope. Um, and then he just comes back in. <laughs> um, Flair start at this point, Flair then finally, finally starts to work on the leg. Uh, just great chops, kicks to the leg with Terry kind of spinning around. He starts to kind of wildly throwing the punches, but Flair's, he's missing him. Flair's getting him back, chopping him, punching him. It just... It's beautiful. I love Terry Funk in this moment. We talked about this with Funk and Lawler on the first uh, five of five. Terry Funk in this position, the point in the match where he's just taking finally the punches and the kicks from the babyface who's finally in control. Terry Funk is the best. He's amazing. He's the best. Um, Ric Flair, again at this point, Funk just bails. He tries to run up the aisle and Flair just gets out the ring, runs and jumps on him and doesn't let him. It's just... it's wonderful because it should be chaotic like this. Things should things shouldn't look crisp and precise. It should be wild and rough and a bit, you know, sort of off piste Yeah, rough round the edges to say the least. It's brilliant. The only thing that I'll say here, as a critique of the match, and it's not even the match, it's from a fan viewing experience. We didn't need these crowd shots. Oh yeah, a couple of those with, yeah, they stunk. Mm-hmm. They stunk. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's needed to be said. One in particular that was totally out of context. They would, it, it, I just hate it when you see fans act like they're at a nitro party mid-match. Rabble rousing. You cut back and the rest of the crowd's not doing that. It's like, oh, that's just embarrassing. Yeah. It's like, to- totally. At least there's no Ricky Rackman though. So. Well, there's that, yeah. I feel like we should have a drinking game where the words nitro party and Ricky Rackman are shot penalties. DJ ran as well. Back to the match. There's a suplex in the ring from Ric Flair. Uh, he goes for the fig four, but Funk uh, pushes him out of the way. Funk then tries to suplex Rick back in the ring, as it happened to him. And Flair just suplexes onto the ring apron. A precursor of the apron spots yeah. years later here in pro wrestling, 20 years after the fact. Finally, he hooks him in the figure four, and Funk's kind of fucked. <laughs> after he's been selling the knee, great. He's hobbling along after all the, all the, all the offense from Flair. It goes from never, screaming never, 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 to my leg is breaking, my leg's breaking, and finally, yes, I quit. Huge pop, match is over, Flair's thrilled, Funk's hobbling along, and they do the handshake afterwards. And this is actually the start of a pretty cool angle, I think, where they, they babyface Funk, where Funk gets on the mic and just says, after, I, I, I said I'd do it, which, and they, they built this up on TV for weeks, about how if he, if he beats me, if he makes me say this, I'll shake his hand in the middle of the ring. And obviously, the whole way through the match, they're talking about how the Funk family name is on the line. 
in this match but Funk again he restored himself because he was a man of his word he said he'd shake his hand and he did and the way that Flair deals with it goes you're gonna when he's putting it over on the mic he's like you're gonna have to do better than that and he's holding his hand out <laughs> shake it and when he finally shakes it he like throws it away he's like yeah, yeah it's a real aggressive handshake this is, yeah. they, they, they weren't playing touch but this was no this wasn't respect this, this wasn't Flair this wasn't shake and hug afterwards and no. all is right with the world yeah, Flair's like you too fucking right too fucking right I was bare in your face you yeah. bastard yeah. yeah back to Texas for you <laughs> and then Gary Hart fucking whacks him in the, in the, the leg which the camera misses unfortunately uh, Flair decks him Flair decks Gary Hart so there's your receipt for earlier on um, Muta and the Dragon Master come in Sting makes the save uh, you know what in Gary Hart's defence if that's the spot that the story's the spot at the end of the match Flair shouldn't have attacked him and got he shouldn't have punched him early no, because the whole point is that he's getting punched at the end so maybe there's a method to Gary's madness um, but yeah so Sting comes in to make the save Puts the scorpion on one. Flair's got the the figure four on the other. Luger comes out and hits Sting with a chair. Luger looked great, by the Luger way. Luger is awesome in '89. Heel Luger in '89 is the best got Luger. A cocky heel Luger. Oh, he's brilliant. Flair goes for him, but gets taken out as well. And then after after the heels leave him all laying, Luger breaks the trophies, the rest of the year trophies that they were uh, were given. Flair and Sting. What a bastard! Smashes him with a chair. Perfect. The production is complete. You've got Terry Funk, Sting, and Flair just lying on the ground, writhing in agony. The despicable heels have returned to the dressing room from whence they came, and we're going to have another fight another day. So, all told, the story is, is, is fully done. Funk and Flair. I need to go back and watch WCW 89 again. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's enough of it on the network. There is. There's a lot of the TV on the network now, the, uh, the, 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 the weekly television. So, it's great stuff. But Terry Funk... I doth my cap to you again. Yeah. I need I need to get a, at least one funk match every yeah. time we do one of these because I just I, he's he's honestly he's one of my like top five wrestlers that I've ever watched. I love him. Yeah, I love Terry Funk. No one just to see a guy whose mind is working at all times. All times. What can I do in this situation? Here? What have we got to work with? What's this? Yes, he's, he's the, brilliant. He's the crazy genius. The crazy genius is the way. Yeah, but he's not crazy. He's just just. Tends to be crazy to get away with the genius. It's genius. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> was that, was that like, the subtlety of Flair though was tremendous. That's and we, we say it in the, I guess it's, it's it's easier. Well, it is easy to be flashy heel. We talk about that with Lawler Funk last time. Lawler in in, in the face role. How you, you have to be subtly brilliant. In Lawler is subtly brilliant, but Flair was too. So yeah, and I guess that's why he, uh, as yeah, as he says, he works he, both. So I was just gonna say, he tones his nature down to 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 meet to meet sort of the seriousness of the match yeah as you say he's, yeah yes he, he does come out with the women he, there is that element to it but when the match is going he's not doing a lorry load of strutting and nothing. brushing the hair back like, which you get from cocky flair with the you know now we go to school and mm-hmm. no he's intense in this instance yeah, he's, he's downplaying his flamboyance because of the magnitude and the seriousness of the match well, that's the manliness as well he, that's, why not, that's why he's not getting booed yeah. by, by fans who resent a successful man getting cheered also he's oh, what a great man this fucking balls on this man to yeah. keep fighting yeah it's just yeah. tremendous, tremendous the, all the stuff with the neck and everything he's still fighting he's yeah it's, it's perfect I like McFoley's theory from around this time not 89 but the theory that he about talking about Flair and something goes as good as Flair's best matches were when he's fully nature he enjoys Flair the most when he's taken out of his element by the other guy whether it's Vader in 93 or Funk in 89 and stuff like that. He's like, he loves it when Flair gets taken out of what is his natural element. And I think that kind of like bleeds through here. It's like, this is 
It's a funk style match. This, this is a is, funk match. Yeah, yeah. This is the what this is the, the brawl that fits Terry Funk. Not the match that fits Ric Flair, but he's been brought to that element and Flair's just so perfect at doing that element that it's and, and Funk's so great on his end. Yeah. It's like this is just this is a, the reason I love this match so much is like this is a pro wrestling match to yeah. me. This is a guy who's an arsehole, a guy who we like, and it's a fucking fight and Well it's not the whole thing from the build up, what they've done previously to get to this stipulation this match of these two characters then how they pay it off in the match and then how they divert from it completely 180 degrees yeah. with the post-match which I love I love booking like that yeah, when they do stuff as long like as it's not forced yeah yeah but th- this wasn't this was perfect because the time was perfect so yeah good stuff like you say it's a it's it's a funk match but it speaks to how good Flair is that Flair can just naturally adapt to these situations yeah, for sure. and play a full part in it and again I know it's it's it sometimes comes across a redundant point and it's one that we belabor a lot but a stipulation that matters because they've built to the stipulation yeah the stipulation is the end result of the blood feud not an arbitrary point in a calendar or <laughs> or, or, or or a theme to be inserted or Thursday it's Thursday we always have a cage match on Thursday <laughs> We're going to have a surprise at the show. Why? Because the surprise not. We always have a surprise at the show. <laughs> They'll be very unsurprised if there's no surprise. Yeah. Can so, I be the surprise? <laughs> so, that, that does sum us up. We've gone five for five here. I should ask, as I think I did last time, of the five we've watched, personal favourite? It's a thinker, isn't it? I'm going to go with Carter and Mega. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just the... I no, I can't. <laughs> they're also totally. They are totally, totally different. different. Oh, so they're they're very different. Um, so I'm not asking for best, but just if, but personal if, preference. If, yeah, okay. In in which case, I'm going with Masara and Kawada. Okay. Uh, yeah. This week I'm gonna go with Mega and Akada because it's it's just amazing. It is. And the, it's, the, it's another level to anything previously athletically and yeah, yeah just, they're, they're just yeah, well, we, well, everything we said previously and yeah. review this match <laughs> love, love all five matches don't get me wrong today I'm going to go with Masao and Kawada because that match is just fucking absolutely unbelievable they're all unbelievable matches in totally different ways as we've said but I just that's a match that I can watch in 20 years and it's going to age it's, it's going to age like wine because the, 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 what makes that match great is, is just going to be universal and it's the same for Flair and Funk too don't get me wrong and War Games but ah, what the fuck that's what makes these matches that's great really right, that's yeah. why these matches are on this list absolutely so folks if you haven't seen any of these please we implore you to go and watch them uh, so much to learn so much to admire and uh, yeah hopefully these are these are some uh, some fun ones to go back and watch for you guys too as they were for us <laughs> so with that said that wraps us up for this we will be back uh, very shortly on SCG Radio returning to the critically acclaimed Monday Night War timeline gentlemen it's time to go back to 2000 March and April oh god that's right Russo and Bischoff are back can you believe Eric Bischoff returns to the business in the year 2000 god, I can't unbelievable <laughs> fucking hell it's crazy what they thought might work <laughs> It's WrestleMania 2000 with The Rock finally getting his crack at the belt. And a McMahon in every corner. A McMahon in every corner. McMahon's all over the show. If only, if only it was TNA and we had six corners. <laughs> Unfortunately, we only have the four. <laughs> and, of course, some absolutely magnificent WF television. WCW, well, 
Anyway, so we'll talk about that on the next episode of the of the of SCG Radio on the timeline, March and April of the year two thousand. Uh, we'll be obviously looking for comments on that one. So let us know what you think of this show. Let us know what you think about the, uh, the March and April of the year two thousand. And of course, we will be back soon. So thank you very much for listening. For Kieran O'Rourke, I love you, Yuka. <laughs> and for Carl Jones, Teddy, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> I am Liam O'Rourke, and we are out of here. Talk to you again soon. Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow. Don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy She'll beat you if she's able You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet Now it seems to me some fine things Have been laid upon your table But you only want the ones that you can't get